Hello, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of the Min Max Show, a place about games, friends, getting better, and waving. My name is Ben Hansen, joined by Kelsey Lewin. Hello, it is 6.22 a.m. right now. The beauty is, you know, I was thinking recently about podcasts, because it's all I listen to and it's all I think about all day, other than uh, my family. But uh, I was thinking recently about, like... <laughs> a close second. And this isn't a critique, Kelsey, of your opening lines, I swear. But I was thinking, like, you know, I think ideal podcasts should exist outside of time and place. You know, like I, I, I think I agree with that. Yeah. I mostly was just trying to get some sympathy points and make oh. sure that everybody was like, wow, what a team player. Absolutely. Incredible. If the YouTube comments aren't filled with, wow, Kelsey woke up at 5 a.m. to be on a podcast talking about video games. Uh, wow, wow, wow. I don't know what the point of YouTube is. Uh, but we're also joined by Jacob Geller. Gobble, gobble. And the casino of podcasting, Kyle Hilliard. The casino. That's right. Okay. Here we go, everybody. On this episode. Hold on, I gotta say, bless you, Kelsey. Thank you, Kelsey. Jacob, you don't get any thanks because it's basically like afternoon for you. Yeah, yeah right East now. Coast, baby. <laughs> uh, on this episode of the podcast, uh, consider it a prologue, if you will, to the Game of the Year debates here at MinMax. Uh, we air our full discussions. They're going to be happening in December. But we're at that time, especially with like, you know, Thanksgiving break here in the States, where we might have a little more time than usual to play some games. And it is... We're getting down to the wire. We're getting down to the point of, like, I need to lock in the games I am going to play before our Game of the Year debates. So in this episode, we're going to run through games we recommend each other to play before the debates, games we recommend the community to play in general from this year, uh, all that good stuff. Then we're going to be joined by special guest uh, Danny O'Dwyer from Noclip, who just produced a documentary with Valve hired by Valve to produce a documentary on the history of Half-Life, the first game in honor of its uh, 25th anniversary. So we're going to unpack how that happened, what that's like. It's technically the third Half-Life documentary he's made. Probably more videos uh, than that, just about Half-Life. So it'll be fun to unpack all that stuff with him. Thank you for saying that, because when that happened, I was like, oh, that's really cool. But I swear I watched a Half-Life documentary <laughs> I know. that he made. Yeah, but it was like very noticeably not involving Valve. Uh, and so right, now right. it's the full flip where no one else is allowed to dance, just Valve. Uh, and then back after the show, we have great uh, questions from the community. Uh, hey, thanks to everybody uh, watching us live at the Backstage Past here. Y'all can uh, throw in suggestions and stuff. We read that chat uh, for stuff that we miss when we're talking about things to play uh, f- before we get to the big Game of the Year debate. Jacob, um, how are you feeling about Game of the Year stuff this year? Really excited. I, uh, I'm i excited, I think, more so for the awards than for the list. Yeah. Like, they're just, they're just a lot of, like, moments that I want to talk about. There are a lot of... Uh, biggest news dumbest things you know i've got i've got my like my list going where something will pop into my head and i'll write it down and be like okay gotta bring that up i'm so excited i thought you meant the game awards at first as opposed to the two tens and i was i was judging you kind of hard for a minute i was was not excited for the game awards (laughs) i gotta say one is a lot easier i just get to sit back and eat pizza with uh, sarah and leo and crack wise at the game awards compared to having like 30 pages of notes and stressing out somehow we record those end of year podcasts for like 16 hours and the game awards still feels longer <laughs> watching the game awards feels like it is the longest thing i do all year no i'm with you on the awards um because it is fun just to try and figure out where's the best place for some stuff you know like there's some things 
without tipping my hand too much unity, where I think about like, is that biggest news or is that dumbest thing? You know, like sometimes there's overlap there and thinking about like, what is the best for each category? And dumbest thing, I think it's more fun if it's a specific thing in the game. And then it's always that question too for like best moment. I'm maybe more of a stickler than anybody else with this, but like, I like that moment to be as small as possible. Because sometimes it's easy to be like, best moment, chapter six. And it's like, well, yeah, but I like having that moment of like, oh my God, this hit me like a ton of bricks right here. You know what I mean? So it's weird to try and figure out what goes where for all those yeah, different the awards. The end of Like a Dragon Gaiden is what it's you're right. right, Kyle. That better be number one. <laughs> you finished I it? I was up late playing last night. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, that's, that's a good one. I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but that is definitely one that I have installed on my PS5. And it's like, what level of priority should I give to Like a Dragon Gaiden? And honestly, we talked about it a little bit last week too, but like a lot of it comes down to like, is Jacob Geller going to push for that harder than Ishin, and so therefore I shouldn't worry about Ishin, and I should just focus on Gaiden fully right now? And is it to that level that I should have it in my pocket? And when are you, you going to play Bayonetta? I mean, it's all... <laughs> well, there's always time for Bayonetta Origins. No matter what, Bayonetta Origins is getting done, no doubt about right. it. Spoilers, I'm not going to be pushing for Ishin. So, like, yeah. if you want to play a Like a Dragon game, Gaiden's the one, I think. And, and do you think, is it one of those things, is it to the level of, like, you won't sleep at night unless, like, a Dragon Gaiden's on the uh, 210s? Ooh. I, Ooh. I don't know. It, it's more, it is, it is truly so about that moment for me that, like, that's going to be a higher priority than, like, the game as a whole. Right, right. Kyle, where, where's your uh, enthusiasm at for Gaiden? Oh, I don't think I would lose sleep if it didn't make the two tens. Okay. But I, I, I really liked it, and I feel like not to like derail us, but listening to Jacob talk about it recently on the Minmax show, I, I'm, I feel like I'm in the same exact boat where it's like this was my me sort of fully putting my foot in the door of the like a dragon series, and like I, I get it, and I, it, it didn't take like a sixty hour commitment. You know, I got like I, I I'm, I'm happy with with it, and like. I get Kuryu now, and I'm ex- and I think yeah. I'm gonna play Infinite Wealth, like almost for sure. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, Kelsey, how are you feeling about Game of the Year stuff? Where are you at prep wise? Oh, oh my god, my list of things that I wish I had more time for is is uh, is infinite. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I'm I'm squeezing in like probably you know three hours of several games, kind of at the end here to try to to try to round out the list more but it's always it always feels weird i mean you talked about this a little bit last week but it always feels weird arguing for a game that you like for or against a game you didn't actually finish i know yeah it feels gross the reality of this year is just like i i could not have finished all of these games it's just and i have there's so many that i have enjoyed so much uh regardless of whether or not i have rolled credits so um I don't know, but I'm really looking forward to this discussion because, yeah, fitting fitting 20 games at the top here is going to be ridiculous. And, um, you know, I, like entire genres are going to be difficult to put anywhere on there. Like I might be one of the only people arguing for any JRPGs this year. And yeah, well, honestly, it's Kelsey, a good year. no, it's, it's a great year. And it's, you know, it gets tough because I know you'll you'll be Chronicles 3's DLC. And that's one where it's like, okay, I mean, DLC, the way we phrase it is like, if it fundamentally changed the game, but it's an addition to an old game, like it should be in contention. But like, Kelsey, I'm so curious to see. Oh, I how- know it'll be me alone up okay, there. Okay, I that, know it, it will be, it will be, but you're better for it. Um, but then I'm so, 
interested in like Octopath Traveler 2. Like that level of RPG that you love this year, but like I don't know where that's being pushed compared to Xenoblade. Not that only one JRPG is making the list, but like compared to Star Ocean, like I don't know how you're ranking all those in order of priority at this point. Well, and that, that's the other thing too, is like um, you and I would have an alliance on Star Ocean, but right. I don't think I, I'm loving the heck out of that game, but it is both a remake and um, not my favorite JRPG that came out this year. So right. like... You know, do I do I push that one harder just because I know I can get that further up the list, or do I? Go, you know what I mean. And honestly, it's it a, is, like the whole alliance thing, I think is a real phenomenon because I was thinking about like, okay, what games do I squeeze in? I can probably fit one RPG in before the game of the year debates. I started a Super Mario RPG. I definitely need to give good, it more time. Smart. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not head over heels yet, but I, yeah. I definitely want to stick with it. Um, but then it's a matter of like, okay, Star Ocean. It's a remake, like. And I, it's always nice to highlight something newer than a remake. But then again, it's like my heart of hearts. I want to play Star Ocean 2 more than anything else at the moment right now. And then, Kelsey, you sent me a message then earlier this week. We were like, hey, if you want to do more, more Star Ocean 2 content, I'm still playing it, really enjoying it. And that was like a speed boost for me. We're like, wait a minute. Do we have a Star Ocean alliance here? Like, should I prioritize and roll credits on Star Ocean 2 so that Kelsey and I can mop up and get it to the top of the 210s? It's it's in my it's probably going to be in my top 10, but I don't know how high up Ooh. it is going to be. In my t- and that is not a, like I think everyone knows this about this year. That is not in any way, shape or form, uh, you know, a mark on the quality of Star Ocean, because I actually think for a remake, it's very good, too. Like yeah. I've been reading more about the differences between um, the original and this. And I think they've done a lot of really awesome things to improve it. But um yeah, but like it's tough. How like, far? No, it's not even like crazy high on my personal top ten. I guess is what I'm saying, and I okay. love it. Okay, okay, that's it's a sign of a good year. Yeah, I mean the remake thing. It is interesting. I feel like remakes are inherently dinged a little bit, even though we gave Game of the Year to Final Fantasy VII remake and Resident Evil Two remake. There's still a part of me that's like, look, we all love Resident Evil Four remake, but. I also feel guilty about giving more honors to Resident Evil 4 on the list of 210s. You know, like how... Jacob, if you had to guess, predict right now, where is Resident Evil 4 remake going to be on the big list? In the in the first 10, but pretty high up. Okay. High up meaning... I, I, like high, an, sorry, high meaning like close to 10. Yeah, like an 8 or a 9 one. type of thing? Yeah. I think that feels right. I think it feels right. For as awesome as that game is, um, that feels about right. Uh, Kyle, what are you going to be uh, pushing? What do you want more people to play before we get to the the debates? Yeah, I was looking through through the list, and it's funny because you guys are talking about JRPGs, and it's not a JRPG, but I really like Sea of Stars a lot. Yeah, and it's and it's not a remake, but it is, and it is definitely like uh, you know inspired by JRPGs, and I mean it's it is my favorite RPG of the year, and I actually played uncharacteristically quite a few this year. Yeah. Like I've been playing Star Ocean, I've played Paper Mario, but Sea of Stars, I don't know. It just it, it, it like I I have it in my really high in my personal top 10. I think um, um, and I don't know. I know folks have played it, but I don't know if anyone finished it. it it's like a game that like I don't usually be, say like, "Oh, you should be completionist." You yeah. know, it's like play a game as much as you want and have a good time with it. But this was a game that I was really thankful that I did the completionist run just from like a narrative perspective like I was really happy that I went and did everything in the game and saw the true proper conclusion and uh, I just I loved it I really love that game a lot 
Yeah, there's a part of me that's that's debating, like, okay, do I play more Sea of Stars? Do I play more Super Mario RPG? And the fact that Kyle, you called it Paper Mario instead of Super Mario RPG, leads oh, me to I? believe <laughs> that maybe I should focus on Sea of Stars if if it's coming down to the wire between those two. For yeah. Both. Oh no, for sure. I definitely put Sea of Stars over. Uh, um, Super Mario RPG for sure. <laughs> you had to think about it again. I, I had to pause. I definitely had to pause. <laughs> That's not yeah. a great sign. Uh, yes. Wait, why is that not a great sign? I don't know. I mean, they're it's like, funny they're, to always forget the name they're of the like, game. <laughs> like they're, Paper Mario is like is the sequel to Super Mario RPG. I mean, it's no, not, it's not, absolutely, no, it, it is. It's well, called it's called Paper Mario or it's called like Mario RPG Paper Mario in Japan. Is it really? Because I remember like the the working yeah. title was like Super Mario RPG too, but then I thought that was just like the press coming up with like, ah, what do we call this no, thing? I mean, it it is structurally like the same, basically. I mean, it was just like the they just had like a new visual style yeah. for for Paper Mario is what it came down to. But like structurally, it's they're pretty much the same. Yeah, uh, Jacob, what do you want more people to play before the end of the year? Uh, okay, so what do I want more people to play? Uh, not myself. Uh, have you heard? I know everyone on this podcast has uh, of a little game called Chia: colon, yeah. a game inspired by New Caledonia. Um, <laughs> that that game, I have I have been uh, getting some footage of it for for my own purposes. Yeah, um, that game is so good and and so wonderful and charming and and just kind of like full of character and life it is like there are so many things about it that are just like gosh i wish i wish i got this feeling from more games yeah just just the feeling of heart in a lot of ways right yeah you know that kind of like you know that that this was a game made by people and those people had like very specific things that they wanted to include and they did, you know, whether it's like, you know, three different instruments that you play for like multiple dance parties throughout the game or like the little mini games where you're making food. And like whenever there's a plate of food in the game, it's not like kind of abstract. It's like a very specific dish that, you know, like someone like ate and took a picture of and was like, yeah. I have to put this in the game because this food is so important to like, you know, the experience of being here. Yeah, I, I'm with you. That's one that I'm probably 60% of the way through. And it's like, I should just do a marathon stream and just blast, blast with the rest of Chia because it is a shame. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're mainlining, it's mm-hmm. short. You yeah, know, it's like yeah. most of the hours that you could spend with that game are in like finding collectibles. But like, there are not that many main story missions. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a game earlier this year, which, I, you know, I played in, in full and stuff. And I even at the time, knowing what the rest of the year looked like, I was like, we got to make sure we don't forget yes. this one at the end of the year. Because, I mean, it's, it's what, what was it, like March or something like that? I think March or April? Yeah, yeah I think. It was pretty early. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a very, it's just a, like a joyful game that is like, is very much, like you're saying, Jacob, a group of people. It's just like, hey, we made this thing for you to have fun in. Like, go, go, go do what you want in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, on a similar uh, island front, um, a game that came out in January, I believe, but A Space for the Unbound is one that I hope people have played. This, like- is, this is a big one on my list of... I, I I have kind of went back to that game throughout the year, and it's like, I think it's interesting, but it never really grabs me, but I know how much you like the ending, I think it's and cool. so I do want to finish it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I agree that it's like, okay, you kind of get in the rhythm, got it, got it, got it, and then the ending really elevated it for me. 
Um, but there's a lot of running around in the streets until you get to that point, you know? Uh, but yeah. I do think it's awesome. If you don't remember Space with the Unbound, it's uh, pixel art set in Indonesia in the 90s. Kind of a surreal story, but also just a lot of heart uh, for exploring these environments and a lot of variety packed in there. Kyle, I heard you reference it as a maybe it was on the Game Informer show, but like, did you finish Space for the Unbound? Yeah, um, okay. my daughter and I, we like played it together. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Um, and it's funny because I've been watching and enjoying the Scott Pilgrim anime right. on Netflix, and like, it made me think of the Space, space for the Unbound. Like, it's sort of reignited in my head i was like oh yeah that game that was that was a good affecting game i don't think i feel as strongly about it as you okay but as is the case with all year-end discussions it's like it's still a great game even if it you know like it's like i don't want to come off as not liking that game but but uh yeah it's I, i like the surrealist sort of nature of it like the scott pilgrim of it all is like you know you sort of brush off it's like oh you have like a you know a, a teleportation device in your head and that's just part of the plot and we don't have to delve into it too much i feel like a space for the unbound has a lot of that kind of stuff which i like yeah yeah uh Kelsey, so i bought oh. the physical version of that game which play asia was selling it's like it's like a asia region only kind of thing um mm-hmm. specifically because you guys seemed so hot on it so i've basically put i've put Almost no time into it, but I have opened it and put it in my Switch. Okay, all right. It up, so. <laughs> we'll take it. That's a win. Um, Kelsey, <laughs> other than Xenoblade Chronicles 3 and its DLC, what are you screaming for? And every other Xenoblade Chronicle game because it seems important to right. really appreciate the DLC. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. That's It's one of those things where it's like maybe it's a better greatest moment or greatest Ooh. thing or something than it is mm-hmm. game because if you don't have the context of three entire games and their respective DLC is like I, it's tough. <laughs> you're it's probably tough. not going to get what I got out of it. Yeah. Um I mean we had we had a lot of good RPGs this year but I I don't know. I don't want to Ben, I think you should put more time into Octopath 2, but I'm yeah. not going to try to convince this panel to play you know, 80 hours of Octopath Traveler I mean, 2 either. You're convincing the audience right now, you know, to, to don't forget about Octopath Traveler 2. Yeah, it's, well, the thing is, and this is true of a lot of RPGs, but I, this is especially true of the Octopath Traveler game. I mean, there's been two, but, you know, this is this was true of the first one, too, is like, you do have to do a tiny bit of slogging to, like, introduce all eight characters separately and get them together. And that process is, um, it's. I mean, it's still, it's good and it's fun. Um, but in a year of this pact, it's like, if, if you feel caught up otherwise and you want to use the remainder of your year on this, highly recommend. Incredible yeah. game. Um, but... Do I recommend that over playing like five more games before the discussions? I don't know. Right, <laughs> but it, it gets it does get incredibly, incredibly good. Kind of at the um, midway point towards the end, as all these characters really are interacting a lot more, and you're seeing a lot deeper into all of their stories. Um, I think I was hooked earlier than you have been, Ben. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't think it took me that long to start. I don't know, getting into these characters and stuff. And I don't know where you started or who you, like, added to your party first. I but, think I was um, a thief in the dungeons starting out. Okay. I forget exactly. Yeah, she's got, she's got a pretty good story. Throne. Okay. I, yeah, um, I, I, I started it I, on Switch and Steam Deck, and it's like, I, I, I don't think I'm going back to it. My apologies. I know it's good. It, I, I get it. 
Can I can I talk about something that's not an RPG though? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Backstage pass, I guess so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I think everyone on this panel has played and loved this, but it came out early this year, and I don't want it to be forgotten because this this should be in the top three this oh, year. Oh. Hi-Fi Rush. Yes, Have Kelsey! Have you heard of Hi-Fi Rush? Good lord. Uh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Because I, I love that game so much, I'm starting to second-guess myself. about like, am I out of my mind? I need to replay that because I could not be redder or hotter on Hi-Fi Rush. Um, but it was so early that I do feel like I need to double-check my love for it at a certain point. Because I'm completely with you, Kelsey. I was so sure at the beginning of the year when I played this. I mean, I you know, I knew Zelda was coming out and all of that, but I was so sure this was going to be my game of the year. Yeah. Um, it was, I mean, I, I just have not played anything that stylish and that fun, um, maybe ever, if not in a really <laughs> long time. Um, so in, in case people somehow missed our conversation about it um of which i don't think i ever was i don't think i ever was mm. on the podcast talking yeah, about maybe it, not. yeah um but it's a it's a rhythm action game that is super stylish and you are uh it, the story doesn't matter it's just really really fun to beat people up but to also the, beat. the story does the pretty matter good, like the story's yeah. like better than it i i think one of one of my prevailing feelings about Hi-Fi Rush is like there are so many things that are better than it needs to be in mm. that game. And like the story is one of them where it's like people would not have cared if they like did not put as much effort into the story as they did. But they did. And right. there's like the like characters are like really well developed and stuff. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, when you're in sort of like the between levels thing in the in the little hideout, like yeah. I always talk to everybody as many times as they had dialogue for. So, I mean, I don't I don't do that in games where the story is uh, total trash. So, right, <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah, I, but, I, yeah. That's I mean, if that doesn't end up in the top three, and that is like <sighs> in a year like this, I know that's going to be nearly impossible. Which, but, and I I feel like we kind of know what those other two spots are. I know, <laughs> right? I know. <laughs> Kelsey, I think you're. I think the Xenoblade Chronicles success has gone to your head. Now you're like top three or bust. It's trash if it's mm-hmm, not top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, I just. I think it's that good and I that do, unique too. of a game. Yep. In again, in a year that has had a lot of really awesome hits and everything, um, one of the more unique experiences of the year. Yeah. Uh, and if you like, even if you, I, I don't think you need to finish that one to like really appreciate it and enjoy it um yeah yeah you know you should but like i i think if you put six hours into that game or less you would still be like okay yeah i see i see why everyone is crazy about this game yeah was there a point for you guys where it like skyrocketed you over the moon like yeah when i hit or, start. are you on board right yeah, away? It, was, it was instantly yeah it was, it, instantly. It was pretty instant but i will say i do i do think there's some great sequences towards the ending uh that really right. kind of lean into character stuff um it, much like a space for the unbound it's like i i don't want to come off as negative i certainly liked what i played but yeah. like i fell off and i was like yeah that's that's a cool looking game i i, really? I don't know I, I i guess i need to go back to it and give it more time but i played like two bosses like okay. i didn't it's not like i didn't go back and dabble go back and dabble shot. yeah uh, although Jacob, I mean, you just played through the whole thing on your uh, charity stream recently. Yeah, my guess is that I've put more time into it yeah. than anyone else on this show. Um, yeah. And and I think it's great, but it is not. Uh, again, it's 
closer to the 10 side of my okay. top 10. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, just because I, you know, I don't know. I I think that uh, upon many replays, it's like, I love that combat system. It is not quite at the level of the games it is uh, drawing from. You know, like, it's not, it is not a Bayonetta or a Devil May Cry in terms right. of, like, its infinite replayability. But I do think the rhythm is, like, so such a clever thing to kind of, like, help people understand the genre. So, like, I, I love it, and I will not be mad if it gets super high on our list. But it's if not, If it makes like, number one, yeah. I'm not coming out punching for it. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm you there know what I need to do? I need to play with headphones, I think. Yes. Because, like, I played it with, like, the volume at a reasonable level. Like, maybe that's what I'm missing. Like, I need to let myself fully give in to the music or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and start snapping your fingers while you play. Um, I, don't oh, I was tapping my foot. There. I was tapping my foot. Uh, it's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I, there's one Wait, game you... that I desperately want to get back to. Um, and I'll speak on behalf of Leo Vader here that, like, I hope more people play, which is Shadow Gambit, The Cursed Crew, uh, which is the real time stealth story. Uh, real-time stealth game is probably the best way to put it. I think it gets lumped into that idea of, like, tactics too easily, and everybody thinks is, it's some... Is real-time the worst gaming moniker that we have? It is it is odd. Is Metal Gear Solid a real-time stealth game? A little bit. I guess the Shadow Gambit thing, I think I'm just sensitive to the way it's framed because I heard so many people talk about it on podcasts and how good it was, and they said it's like... Uh, it's like a tactics game, you know, it's kind of turn-based, kind of real-time, and I immediately checked out, like, okay, I got it, got it, got it, but really, it's isometric Dishonored, um, and it freaking rules, um, and it's so well done, uh, and, yeah, I know Leo is red-hot on it, I know Jeffum got a code, but I don't know if Jeffum has started playing it yet, but I feel like that's one where I need to be locked in back-to-back with Leo uh, to fight off all the, not haters, but just people who have (laughs) not paid attention to the game because it's called Shadow Gambit the Cursed Crew, (laughs) but it's... I have to ask you if you had to write that down before you brought that up. (laughs) Maybe. There's a good Thanksgiving joke about it uh, for anybody who watched our big Thanksgiving joke-a-thon. It's impossible to remember, but yes, Shadow Gambit the Cursed Crew uh, is quite good for anybody who's looking for... Uh, a stealth focused experience uh, but still just a ton of cool powers and the pirate setting is fantastically well done Um, Uh, can I shout out a game that has a really easy name to remember yeah humanity yeah (laughs) I Uh, I was curious where you're gonna end up with this thing I well yeah I'm not I'm not sure how many I mean Ben I know you played it yeah uh, Kelsey and Kyle did you dabble did you beat it I played like the first I forget exactly how it's wrapped up but I probably played like 20 puzzles or yeah, so. I'm probably around that same ballpark where I really think it's cool. It didn't it didn't light my heart on fire personally, I guess. I downloaded it after hearing you guys talk about it and then never actually <laughs> So it's on my list. It's worth starting. It's definitely worth starting, Kelsey. Like it's it's um, a cool experience. I I think I mean I think it's one of the most visually compelling games I've ever played. Like if we're if we're just talking about you know, in the same way that like Tetris Effect is or Res, that it is just like the their ability to just like put images on screen that make you kind of think about life are crazy. But also like that game does really it changes a lot throughout the playthrough. Like each each world has an almost entirely different set of like verbs that you're using. Whereas mm. it starts where you're kind of laying down directions for the humans to follow like lemmings but eventually you are like 
leading them around what almost one-to-one with your little dog avatar thing and also they start fighting like like war like combat becomes like a big part of the game which is a little janky but also like so interesting in terms of like what that game is kind of doing thematically um and i think there there are a couple bosses and they are both really towards the end and they are also just so weird and like visually cool that it's just like it's just really worth literally maybe even just like watch the last level of the game because it's just so like bizarre looking in this really awesome way yeah i think i saw it in the game informer documentary about the making of they include it there right or is it some other well, it's place actually it? they they even show a clip of it in the trailer like oh, okay. that, that like one of the final boss things but uh but yeah it's just like man in terms of things that i have not seen before having like a hundred thousand people on screen it's like pretty high up there that's awesome have you played in vr yet no and i should you should you should for sure uh, you don't have to. You're fine. Come on, Kyle. <laughs> Look alive, man. I played it in VR. I was like, oh, I'm ready to get back to <laughs> having a, a proper controller in my hand. Uh, uh, by the it way, wasn't Kyle. like terrible or anything. It wasn't like a worse way to play. It was just a... I have um, Talos Principles, the next one in my queue, mm. so to speak, now that I've put aside, now that I've finished Like a Dragon. And it's kind not that like it has to be like what puzzle game makes it, but I'm curious if like... <sighs> If I what puzzle like that game that's more. also about like the philosophy of being a human <laughs> right yeah yeah if I, if I had a nickel but uh um, yeah, yeah. I, I started Tales principle um it made me uh nauseated immediately uh but i think it's really well done i know leo was not as hot on it as he wanted and janet's just kind of getting into it now but do you have a prediction for you're going to be at for Tales principle too kyle no i didn't even play the first one so i can't even i i think i might like it because it hues closer to the kind of puzzles i like yeah which is like i mean portal is maybe shorthand but even i could expand it out further and be like i like being in trapped in an area and being a singular yes i'm totally character that has to get out of that area like that's like a a style of puzzle that i like i i like i'm with you where like i like the containment of a test chamber i love the idea of like the puzzles in this room like there's not gonna be that feeling of like am i missing something you have to go back to that hallway and get that other items like no 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 what you're looking at, there is a way to solve this right now. I guess that's why I kind of like shrines, you know, and, and Zelda and yeah. stuff too. Um, is everybody going to go back and revisit Zelda a little bit? Or do you feel like we got that out of our system? Like, Kelsey, did you roll credits on Zelda? No, I still have Oh my God. All right. I hope everyone I with the deepest dive that didn't finish it, they go back right before the game of the year debates. It seems like that's a good way to kind of get the boost uh, going into the discussion. It's, yeah, I don't, it I don't think really it would well. take me more than like, 90 minutes i, I really think it would finish yep. it at It'd this point right I, i'm i'm right up there <laughs> yep for sure uh let's see shout out to the making of karataka i feel like that's going to be kelsey and i uh fighting tooth and nail for a while for that one but yeah for sure it's and again another one of those games where like just go experience it for like a couple hours um in the same way you would experience a, a documentary or something mm-hmm. um and it's it is so much more than just the like history that is presented to you. Um, it's done in such a the way they introduce gameplay elements and stuff to it, and and, and teach you through playing. Um, 
is it's really brilliant. Yeah. Like it's just a really really cool way to learn about a game and I guarantee you as someone who did not grow up, you know, playing original Prince of Persia or Karataka or anything yep. like that. Um sorry, Karateka. Karateka, Karateka, please be please. I, I'm going to do that for the rest of my life, but um <laughs> It, it didn't matter. Like, it didn't yes. matter that I have zero nostalgia for this game. Um, yeah. It, I, I really appreciated it uh, very quickly. I know. I was on the Fire Escape podcast with Dan Reichert not too long ago, and it was the most frustrating thing in the world because I was talking about how cool the game was. He's like, well, I don't want to play it because I don't know anything about Karateka. I'm like, that's the point, is you learn about <laughs> Karateka by playing the game and why it matters. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, rapid Fire stuff. We got um, Theater Rhythm Final Bar Line. I I love this year. That was this year. I oh love God. that Final Fantasy rhythm game so much. I am quaking in my boots looking at how many other games came out this year and thinking about its chances of getting on the two tens. But I I don't want to go down without a fight for uh, that awesome rhythm game. Uh, anybody else um, got one? That I really liked. I really liked Paranorma Site. It oh, was yeah. a like weird horror visual novel that I don't think very many people played. Um, but I really enjoy. Again, no chance this year, but um, a very good experience that I um, I recommend. How uh, how how long is that? I don't think it's less than ten hours, but I can't remember by how much. Let's let's ask how long to beat. Wow the. Sorry, the the uh, pitch for this game, at least that the Square Enix site is giving, is very funny. Um, oh no, it's like almost twelve hours. I guess okay. it, it felt like a little less to me, but the story of a crushing command and its mysterious origins: a giant bloody foot smashes through Mikasacho residence ceiling, commanding wash. What? <laughs> All right, Paranormal Site. That's I'm one listening. of the seven mysteries. Of Hanjo. I've heard of, of that. Of Hanjo. <laughs> That's the full name of the game. Uh, anybody else got rapid fire stuff? Uh, I want to shout out Pikmin 4. Yeah. Not because yeah. I don't think anyone believes it's good, but I think it was underplayed, like mm-hmm. every Pikmin game is. But I, I that game like surprised me in a weird way, and like I've always been kind of a middling Pikmin fan. But I was like, this is the best one. This is great. Ochi yeah. is uh, my hero, and I love him, and he makes the game so much better in every way. Uh, yeah. yeah I'm, I, I'm worried about that one a little bit too, Kyle. Where it's like, I also really enjoyed it. I, I don't know if I'm going to push for yeah. it that hard, but I but it rules. Like It's a great game. There's no doubt. But yeah. it's... But again, it's um, almost not fair to Pikmin 4 because I feel like I'm just rebounding against the amount of love that I hear other people give it. Where I'm like, yeah, it's it's great. It's it's a Pikmin game. It's just a really great Pikmin game. But, uh, you know, there's a certain cap on a Pikmin game. With all due respect to Olimar, with all due respect. <laughs> I, I, I don't think this was underplayed in the general community, but in the min-max uh, group of people I'm going to be arguing against, Armored Core 6 yeah. is really, really good. <laughs> yeah, and I that think, one. Like, I, I don't think the barrier to entry is that high. You know, like, you don't have to beat it, but I think you could play the first, like, five, six levels not hit a hard stopping point and like appreciate how cool it is. Yeah. Yeah. I should go back to armored core six. Cause I mean, are you the only person? I think Janet might've dabbled, but you, I, pl- I played through the first boss. The okay. First big boss. All right. There we go. I That's watched something. my partner play through almost the whole game. Just oh, <laughs> Kyle Hilliard style. We're familiar with that strategy. <laughs> hey, yeah. The, uh, the, the, like a dragon, uh, uh, Yakuza, like a dragon approach. Uh, what else we got? Rapid fire recommendations here. 
Uh, let's not forget the Dead Space remake. I really enjoyed that. That's an interesting yeah. one. That's an interesting one. Yep, great. Uh, I no like doubt. Wolong Fallen Dynasty a lot this year, but I think Lies of P is just sort of yeah. took it out the back and shot it. <laughs> yep, yep. I think that might be true. Uh, shout um, out. Oh, go ahead. Venba, 90 yes. minutes. Uh, that's if you want to just add another game to your list that is good. Uh, that one does not take much commitment. I can't believe that they actually called it that. Venba colon ninety minutes. It's a brilliant <laughs> marketing strategy. I think uh, that actually yeah. wouldn't be a bad name. For it a really game. wouldn't. Like, this game's only two hours. Like, well, they named one twelve minutes, but that one's <laughs> <go over> <laughs> yeah. good point. Good point. Uh, uh, shout out to Finity on Apple Arcade. Uh, the game that's a little bit like a 2048 or a threes, uh, but I think it's it's my favorite mobile game of the year. Uh, but I guess that's kind of condescending to even put it that way. Uh, also, shout out to there's something called Double Fine Psych Odyssey that I hope a lot of people watch before maybe we talk about a certain category. <laughs> how long does that one take to beat, man? <laughs> uh, how long to beat? It's it's up there. It's up there. I mean, I did it in a weekend, so everyone can do it in a weekend. It's just 32 <laughs> episodes of the greatest video game documentary known to man. Uh, okay, anything we missed? Yes, plenty. Oh, yeah. Plenty. Yeah. plenty. <laughs> I know it became a joke on last week's podcast a little bit, but Bayonetta Origins is actually yeah. pretty good. Yeah, like, I know. I know. Pretty, pretty decent a game. Yeah, I played yeah. like two or three hours. Also, oh. shout out to a game that everybody forgot came out this year and totally flopped, but I thought was pretty interesting, was Wild Hearts. It was a yep. Kind, yep. Of, kind of interesting take on the Monster Hunter format, and um, I think they've already shut down the servers. It is... Um, it, it's a game that definitely would like multiplayer is a better way to do that. Um, so I think it's, you know, it kind, kind of a total flop, but yeah, um, I appreciated that it happened. I'm looking forward <laughs> to you putting it on the list and we can give it its due on the two tens. Cause yeah, it is, it is sad. That, like, for, it's honorable mention probably. Honestly, yeah. But it'll it'll I, be on the big <laughs> list, even if it doesn't crack into the two tens, but yeah, I felt bad that the, that didn't work out better because uh, it seemed quite good for everybody who put a lot of time into it. Uh, let's see. Uh, shout out to games like Ghost Trick that I told myself I was absolutely going to play the remake of this year. Did not happen. Uh, I feel terrible about it. Star Wars Jedi Survivor. Um, I'm bracing you for impact. Rest in peace early. Uh, I don't think that's making the two tens. It's, it's, that was a weird one where a lot of people love it, but just everybody in our crew is just kind of like, eh, you know. Eh. It's, yeah, it's that's unfortunately, that's one that I will be uh, coming out against. Oh, wow. Uh, you, don't even, you don't even need to, you dark lord of the Sith. Um, also, shout out uh, on behalf of other people, Fashion Dreamer. I think Janet and Kelsey, I'm sorry, uh, Janet and Sarah are going to be all about it. Uh, and then I've heard whisperings of how hot Leo is on Hitman Freelancer, and uh, I'm quaking in my boots thinking about how, like, finding the slot for that one that appeases Leo and Haley, to be fair. Um, so, a lot of fun stuff. We're going to be uh, recording the Game of the Year debates. Technically, we're going to be starting recording it on December 16th, and then we're going to be trickling it all out. Um, so just so you all know, uh, you will not be missing an episode of the MinMax Show throughout the holiday break. We'll be hitting every single week still for your pleasure. Um, and if you're at the Backstage Pass tier, you can watch all of those debates live. Like normally Backstage Pass, it's like, oh, it's cool to watch it live a day early. In this case, you can watch us do the entire 210s debate weeks early. Two weeks early compared to everybody else, as long as you don't spoil it for everybody else. So if you join us at the $10 tier, you can get super duper early access. So we appreciate everybody for doing that. Jacob, do you know how the whole, uh, uh, do you know how this whole thing operates? 
Uh, I do, but I want you to tell me. I'll tell you. It's a little thing that we personally like to call Patreon. Patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's. If you've enjoyed our content this year, if you've enjoyed this sprint of content we've been doing recently, if you're looking forward to the Game of the Year debates, please help support the stuff directly by going to Patreon.com slash MinMax with two N's. And special shout out to some of our biggest supporters. Truly a huge thank you. We only choose supporters um, who... Not like patron supporters, but I guess sponsors um, who we genuinely enjoy. Like, it's very nice to be able to pick and choose. So I'm delighted to have these folks on board. Shout out to people like HelloFresh. They're not people. You can eat them. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. Kyle, that's why it's America's number one meal kit. You keep saying, what, maybe number two, number three, if it's lucky. I don't know if HelloFresh is going to make it to ten. Like the same, we ranking the same way we rank games at the end of the year. We're always talking about this. I say no. It's America's number one meal kit. Uh, recently, uh, again, I, I, I'm delighted every time we're stressed out about food, and then there's just a big box on the door, and it's like, oh, hello, fresh order. Okay, we don't need to worry about dinner for a while. This is great. Opened up the big batch recently. They included a bunch of breakfast stuff in there. So they have little one-off breakfast things you can heat up. Otherwise, uh, it was also filled with a bunch of muffins. It's like, are you kidding me? Just muffins to your doorstep? What is this? The future? Uh, and then also they sent uh, recipes for... You got to choose which one you want, Kelsey. And I'll make it for you and ship it out to Seattle. Sweet chili pork and cabbage stir fry. Pecan crusted chicken. Or Gouda Vibes burger. Ooh. I I think the... What was the pork chili something? What Sweet was the chili pork and cabbage stir, stir fry. I love a sweet chili. Okay. All I think, right. I think a sweet chili is going to wins out for me. Well, then I'm going to make it. It's going to be a piece of cake to make because of HelloFresh. And then I will send it right out to Seattle. Uh, so go to HelloFresh.com <laughs> slash MinMaxFree and use code MinMaxFree for free breakfast for life. Uh, as long as you're a subscriber to HelloFresh is the way that works. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MinMaxFree with code MinMaxFree. Make cooking at home easy, fun, and affordable with HelloFresh. Please! There's links below for all this stuff. Also, shout out to Uncommon Goods! They want you to know, they want you to know that, hey, it's officially time to kickstart your holiday shopping, they want you to know. But there's no cause for panic. Uncommon Goods is here to make your holiday shopping stress-free by scouring the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Uh, Check out Uncommon Goods. We talked about it before, Kelsey, but like, just going to that store, truly, if you need to get a gift for anybody's holiday season, you will be able to find something that is cool and funky and good. Uh, Like, they have 12 days of hot sauce calendar. If I open that on a Christmas morning, I'd be giddy. I'd say, well, this is a fun adventure that will last for at least 12 days, uh, which is more than you can extend to any other holiday season. Um, when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. These fine products are often made in small batches, so shop now at Uncommon Goods before they sell out this holiday season. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade in the U.S. They have the most meaningful, out-of-the-ordinary gifts anywhere, so check it out. You can get 15% off your next gift. Go to UncommonGoods.com MinMax. That's UncommonGoods.com MinMax for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited-time offer. Uncommon Goods, they're out of the ordinary. Also, shout out to First Leaf. Kyle, you know when you uh, go to a liquor store and you have to pick out a bottle of wine and then you say, looking at a bunch of options in the aisle? 
That's the noise I make. I, it's, you nailed it. Well, the only noise you should be making is uh, typing on your keyboard as you go to tryfirstleaf.com slash minmax because First Leaf is a wine subscription service where they just, it's, it's a very cool thing. You go there and then you like fill out a whole simple, cute, perfectly presented questionnaire about like what type of wine do you like uh what type of notes and flavors do you like in your wine how much red how much white do you prefer here you fill it all out and then they ship six bottles to your house surprisingly affordable um and it'll just go right to your house and uh uh last time sarah and anna came by for cream of the steam i was able to hand them two bottles of wine and say hey this is from first leaf and they said, thank you, First Leaf, in unison. It was really uncanny. Uh, so First Leaf is the wine club that sends me a personalized shipment of bottles that are based on my unique palette right to my door. All you have to do is go to First Leaf's website, answer a few questions, and you're good to go. Uh, plus, all First Leaf wine is priced 30% lower than what you'd pay at a wine store. And every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. I drank it, and I felt good, and it was tasty, so mission accomplished. Find the wine you'll love this holiday season with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash minmax to sign up, and you'll get your first uh, six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. Six bottles of wine for $44.95. That's tryfirstleaf.com slash minmax, tryfirstleaf.com slash minmax. And thank you to the grandpappy of all sponsors. We're talking about I Am 8-Bit. They want you to know about Day of the Devs, which is happening in L.A. in person December 8th from 2 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific. If you want to go to an event, play a bunch of indie games that aren't out yet, meet the developers, see Tim Schafer running around, see Janet Garcia running around. It is a free event in L.A. happening on December 8th. All you need to do is please RSVP uh, on Eventbrite. There is a link in the description below for dayofthedevs.com where that Eventbrite uh, link will exist, but it's a free event. Go there, help support I Am 8-Bit, support Day of the Devs, because it's always a beautiful presentation. They've been going since 2012 with Day of the Devs, and this in-person event is happening December 8th, but they also have a digital event that's going to be happening that you can watch on the internet, and that is happening on December 6th for that digital showcase. And help support I Am 8-Bit by checking out Day of the Devs, or just by checking out their wonderful online store. Uh, I am 8bit.com, everybody. They have a ton of great gifts for the gamers in your life and beyond. Uh, truly one of the coolest companies around. I'm so happy that they're associated with us. So check out I am 8bit.com and you can use the promo code Gobble Till You Wobble for 10% off everything under $100. And please. Please help support iMateBit because they're supporting MinMax in a big way by shipping out a prize to a member of the MinMax community. If you support us on Patreon at any tier, even that $2 tier, you're making the show better by funding it. You're making the show better by submitting comments and questions that we read on the show, and then we choose our absolute number one favorite, and they win the prize from iMateBit. In this case, it is the Artful Escape vinyl soundtrack that you shall be winning. Uh, so look alive. We need to remember our favorite community question. And then that person wins their artful escape from Miami 8-Bit. Uh, Kelsey, you want to start answering community questions before you have to bow out? Sure. All right. I, I didn't look at them at all, so I have no idea what you're going to ask me. But Well, yeah. get ready for this then. Um, let's see. Uh, Mike Lynch writes in, and they say, Have you had a surprising moment in your career? An opportunity, chance encounter, etc., that you never planned for, but it became a positive thing for you? interesting question the surprising moment in your career other than like 
I guess, in theory, pulling off the career that we're all happy with at this point in our lives. <laughs> That's the most surprising thing, I guess, is it all kind yeah. of worked out. I I always, I will remember, I think it was in my first week or two, uh, speaking of Karateka, at Game Informer, it, I remember uh, our, our coworker Matt Cotto came up to us and he's like, hey, we have a chance to interview Jordan Mechner. Do you know who that is? Like, he wasn't sure that I, if I knew who it was. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember just being like, yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I want to talk to Jordan Mechner. And, and, like, and he was like almost surprised that I knew who he was. Just because you're a big Prince of Persia that, fan, like you knew that name pretty well? Yeah, because oh, of Prince of Persia. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love Sands of Time so much. It wasn't even, it, it was Sands of Times specifically. Um, but uh, I, I, that always sticks out to me as a moment of like, oh my gosh, I, I, my, that job is talking to people like Jordan Mechner, who like, you know, your coworkers are kind of like, hey, do we have time to talk to him? I was like, I hope we have time to talk to him. Yeah. Oh, that, was, that was such a fun period is like first getting to Game Informer and having those moments that are just like mind blowing. Like it's weird timeline wise, but we did a cover for the Tomb Raider reboot back in 2010, even though it didn't come out until 2013. And that was like just a giddy thrill. It was like first day a game informer like uh, Megan Marie pulled me aside and she's like, hey, uh, I need your help editing a video for our upcoming cover story and don't tell anybody it's top secret, but like they're rebooting Tomb Raider and it's a huge, cool like survival game now. I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. And I just started clapping uh, uproariously and I didn't even get a chance to help her because I wouldn't stop clapping. But... And then you played it three years later and you're like, yes, it was worth the win. That was a really cool game. People should remember how cool that game was. Yeah. I feel like mine are all like, oh, gosh, there's a person who I did not think would watch my videos who yeah. did, you know, oh, which no, no. which feels a little it's like it's not quite as exciting, I guess. But like there was a there was a thing early on where um, where one of the one of the primary writers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, <laughs> like not only not only said she like watched my videos, but was like, I want like my writing class to watch this. Whoa. Oh, and, I, and I was like, I'm a huge Buffy fan. And so it was like it was it was really is Marty Noxon for people who know. But it was just like, my gosh, what you know, what? Why? Why would she ever have encountered my videos? And it was like I think her son watched them and and liked them. And there's a, a another uh, the writer of Chain Gang All Stars, which is a book that came out this year that's very popular. Like I talked about one of his short stories in a video once, and then like he reached out and got in touch. And so it's like you know that that level of I I, I think I'm always putting people like way i'm like they're so much kind of cooler than me why would they ever watch a youtube video about video games and then it turns out like actually most people watch youtube videos about video games yeah most people watch youtube and at this point youtube's pumping your videos to every phone on earth so the odds That's that you i mean just think of the number of wild celebrities and i know you're always chasing celebrities they'll like watch your <laughs> videos but just like don't interact like you have no idea but i bet I bet Barack Obama's watched at least three of your videos at this point. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. I do. Werner Herzog, huge fan. Uh, a I, friend of mine said that like a long time ago before, you know, before he, uh, it was obvious that he was completely nuts. Um, uh, like Elon Musk apparently was a big fan of his videos, but apparently, apparently Elon Musk DM'd him a long time ago and was like, I love your videos, dude. And then, you know, that, that maybe used to be a badge of honor, not, well, not. It's deteriorating. We open that thread and be like, "Hey, why don't you That's tell Twitter to someone else?" At no, this point? It's, it's like it's like, could I have changed things? Could I, yeah. if I knew now? Honestly, it. I mean, if anybody wants to start gambling on this, now's the time. 
would anybody gamble that Elon Musk has not seen a second of a Jacob Geller video? I would absolutely bet that he has. I would absolutely. <laughs> you probably, you probably I'd bet hundreds, oh, no. thousands of dollars on that. Absolutely. And how do you feel about that, Jake? It was this, <laughs> you're a monster, Someone was Jacob. like, hey, Elon, uh, I, I don't think this rocket material is actually what we want for the launch. And he's like, shut up. I'm watching a video on horror game. <laughs> what a focused individual. Uh, Beefcake writes in. They say, do you think that considering so many people are getting laid off from these big game companies, it'll lead to a big indie boom in the next few years? Also, I'll take my answer on the air. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, I, that's an interesting here. question. What do you all think? I feel like we live in an indie boom. Yeah, it's like, I don't know what an indie boom separate from this looks like. <laughs> We're, yeah, we yeah. already have a lot of like companies being founded by people who either left or were laid off of studios and... And we have, yeah, we have an enormous amount of extremely good indie games right now. I think the kind of the dividing line that uh, maybe is is missing from this question is like it's it's marketing, you know, like that's that's kind of the it's like it's not like there are not enough indie games and there are actually thousands of more indie games than anyone even knows about that came mm-hmm. out this mm-hmm. year. And it's like the dividing line is just how much money do you have to spend on getting them out there and so like it's possible that these well-established you know industry people if they're starting their own studios will also have a better working knowledge of like pr than kind of indie devs who have never been in a big studio but like i don't think there will be more games i just think it's possible that maybe yeah it's like the marketing changes or whatever you know it's like is it going to be a similar thing to games journalism where suddenly you have like all of these kind of random small outlets Mm -hmm. that are technically independent but are like filled with people who used to be in the industry and so kind of know more about it than people who started out independent i don't know yeah i think the indie boom i think that's a weird way to phrase it but you know just that idea of like oh we're gonna get new cool indie teams formed because of this yes i think more so from studio closures you know it's always like the weird supernova effect of like when a studio goes down you know always think of like a rational right like how many little studios popped up because of that um and so i think of places like volition you know which was shut down this year i'm trying to think of the other big studios that were shut down this year fully um but i think there will be new studios because of that that might make some smaller quote unquote indie games. Um, but like the layoffs, I don't know if that's necessarily the same thing. You know, it, I don't know if it's like last one in first one out, yada, yada, yada. So like, I think it's a lot of like lower people on the production uh, line or maybe aren't as, they don't have as much experience. And so I don't know if a lot of people who were laid off this year could then parlay that into like, now I get funding for my indie studio. Uh, but I'm sure there's a lot of really talented people, obviously, that were laid off. And so maybe maybe they could do it. It's just not a matter of like there were a lot of layoffs this year, but it wasn't the level of uh, name that could easily get funding for an independent studio, mm. I guess, is my point. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. I also just assume we're in like an endless cycle of like new small studio starts with some people who know what they're doing. Then they get acquired. Then yep. it gets shut down. Then the cycle begins a new kind of thing. Like it it already feels like we're at least a couple a couple turns into that cycle now. Yeah, sure. That's the circle of I mean, life. It's yeah. like, we'll we'll probably talk about this in biggest news, but it's like, I don't think we should underestimate the amount of people who will be leaving the industry. Yeah. Like, I, I, oh, I, sure. I, yeah. I don't think this means more games. You know, like, I, I mm. think that ultimately what this year, 
the best year ever for games like what this is going to mean in the future is like there are there are fewer people working in games and especially like people people who are established and know what they're doing are going to decide to get the hell out because yeah. it's such a bad industry to work in I, yeah i mean i definitely have seen a number of people write in even like to party chatter bonus podcast with that idea of like um I'm on the verge of getting into the game industry, and I don't know if I want to do it anymore, which is, you know, scary for the overall industry here. Yeah. Uh, Slycut writes in, they say, hey, everybody, when going over the Game Awards nominations, y'all said you didn't know what Synapse was. Ben, being a big Metal Gear fan, I thought you might have heard of this thing. It's the PSVR 2 exclusive. I completely forgot about this. Um, because the two main characters are voiced by David Hayter and Jennifer Hale. Synapse is easily the best VR game I've ever played. Being able to change the target of your telekinesis just with your eyes is such a game changer. Everything's so fluid. The progression is great. Synapse is not one to miss. As a side note, I recently finished Sea of Stars and noticed that Tim Turry's in the credits. Thanks for our partners at Sony PlayStation, like Tim Turry. Look at that. I'll be damned. Friend of the show. This is a fun game to play when you finish a Sony game. You're like, where's Tim? Yeah, where's that Tim Turry guy? We used to work with him at Game Informer if you're not familiar with Tim Turry. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I feel bad. Sorry for uh, missing out on Synapse. I'll uh, have to check it out here. Yeah, sorry for having your PSVR 2, Ben. Oh, yeah, you do. Well, you're just going to keep it until Resident Evil 4 VR comes out, and then you'll send it back. That's the one game (laughs) I'll play on it, and then I'll send it back. I gave gave the Game Informers to Blake Hester, and then he moved to New York. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I don't have it either. <laughs> There's no way that survived. Maybe you'll play it though. That's a mess. Uh, I uh, I played Assassin's Creed Nexus VR. I this, started this it, weekend. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, Kyle. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I had a lot of technical problems to the point oh. where I I'm almost hesitant to talk about it too much because I think I need to like recalibrate everything or maybe even reinstall it. Mm. Like I I like couldn't climb. Like mm. it just it like wasn't working. Like Ezio was not grabbing onto like grab points well this is like early Ezio so he doesn't quite know how to climb yet you know so maybe he was just struggling <laughs> oh, away. he just falls yeah, yeah. up like <laughs> an eight foot wall um, yeah. but uh, one one uh, quick I, uh, the um, the wrist blade yeah. motion that felt pretty good in VR yeah Jacob, like you get that. to go like yeah and then the little yeah. uh, wrist uh, blade pops out and you have a sword and stuff and so you get to stab people if you've always wanted to do that in VR, and you've wanted to look down and see yourself as Ezio, I guess Assassin's Creed Nexus VR is good for you. But yeah, it's funky because you're like, I hadn't really played a big stealth game in VR, so even having that idea of like, all right. I have either. So like sneaking around boxes and like crouching and actually trying to dodge guards' line of sight as you're looking around a room in VR is a different kind of feeling. But I was able to climb in the game, Kyle, and it just kind of made me (laughs) sick immediately because you're like pulling yourself up and the entire world is changing. And it's cool they have that in there. Uh, but it's nauseating. Yeah, I, I will say I don't because that was Horizon's whole thing. Yeah, like I don't, I don't love that action of like right. climbing in VR. So maybe Assassin's Creed not for me. But like I walking up behind someone and hitting them with a wrist blade felt pretty good in VR. That's feel pretty that. good. Yeah, uh, it's cool too. They have an option in the menu for fear of heights, um, where if you turn it on, it makes like a mesh below you at all times, so you don't feel like you're climbing a building and uh, you should be terrified but it's weird just to have a, a layer of protection there but I was struck that uh, meta exclusive I thought for sure like oh Assassin's Creed Nexus VR that's got to be on PSVR too but no 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 it's, mm. it's, so it's telling that like one of the big you know third party VR games is not landing on, on Sony's headset this year which is that is surprising sad yeah. state I, didn't, I don't think I realized that yeah, um, yeah. I, uh, I played mm. NFL Pro Era in VR and it just it made me thankful for VR existing. Um, not that it's a great experience, but just like I, I like VR more and more. 
again, not for playing the games, but just like, I just like knowing that there's this pocket of really weird, bold game development happening in VR. You know, there's still people trying a ton of different things and like, you know, we don't talk about it, but somewhere there's a game called NFL Pro Era that's releasing where you actually have to run around and you have like a pretend football mask on. You like try and throw Hail Marys to the end zone. Like that's a cool thing to do physically. And it kind of bums me out that we're all just like, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's no future for it. And I feel like it's just kind of the cool ideas and developers giving it their all are drying up slowly more and more in VR. And it's kind of a bummer, you know? Well, it's like, I mean, I feel strongly about, like, Playdate's ability to create interesting experiences and stuff, but, like, that's stuff that can be done by one person, mm, and yeah. creating an interesting VR experience, like, I feel, I feel just as strongly about both of those things, like, being interesting, but not necessarily having a future. Yeah. Um, I feel a guest coming on. Do you all feel that tingle in your stomachs? Hmm... Danny O'Dwyer from Noclip? Hi. Hello. Thank you for joining us. Uh, absolutely. Definitely didn't just wake up two minutes ago. I'm feeling <laughs> fresh as a daisy. Yeah, we look, we never know when people are going to join us on the podcast. Sometimes it's the middle of community questions. Sometimes you just have no sense of it. Uh, I like see. how Ben promised to make it seamless and you immediately <laughs> pulled the rug out from yourself. Full and, like, seam. Got to sh- look, my, my whole work life is showing how sausage is made. I can't, <laughs> I can't not point at the sausage. That's right. It's truth, baby. Uh, let's see, Danny, you're on with Kyle Hillier, down with Jacob Geller and Kelsey Lewis. Great to see you all. Happy Hello. Thanksgiving. Yeah, right yeah. too. Yeah. Look, you're speaking like a real American, Danny. Congratulations. I know. It's been 10 years now. So, you know, I still don't know how to use an alarm clock, but I know how to say <laughs> Thanksgiving. So. Didn't you? That's a very American pastime, alarm clock. <laughs> Didn't you go to Something K- unique to this country. <laughs> Didn't you go to uh, the Rikers family Thanksgiving in Kansas at some point? I did. You know, what's really funny is that we shot. Do you remember we I shot a video in his backyard? Do you remember this? No, I don't remember around that, that time. So he he for whatever reason, he decided to do the, you know, the whole like drink seven up and eat like two bananas thing. This is Dan Reichert, you're saying? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't you know, have like you guys him. ever done this? Uh, no, but the, the idea is you, you have to puke or something. Yada, yada, yada. Oh, 100. Yeah. Like you can, like I had this big I was big timing him saying I haven't I haven't like projectile vomited in like, you know, 15, 20 years. And he was like, oh, well, well when we go to Kansas, I'm going to. And we, we were Did Dan clap into the podcast? Just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> his mom, I think his mom recorded it. So and, and uh, we just did this whole thing. And like, yeah, there was a video online of the two of us at Thanksgiving in the in Kansas, um, getting sick in his backyard. And then years later, I went to find it. And whenever he, like, applied for a job at WWE, he, like, cleaned some stuff off of his YouTube channel. And I couldn't believe it. But he did. He got rid of it. He was like, that was too much. That was a step too far for Vince McMahon, probably. Yeah, so that's what? that's the difference between you, Dan. Is Dan Record, he's scared of the truth. You're embracing it. Your entire career is about surfacing truth, man. That's exactly that. And, and selling out with a new video production company. Yeah, Jesus. All right. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, so you announced Secret Tape, which is a four yeah. hire video production company that's made up of the same crew as Noclip, which was the independent funded uh, game documentary Patreon. Yes. Accurate. We, okay. We, to, to, yeah. The long and short of it was during COVID, like we had a bunch of people like Jeremy who films all our stuff. Frank, who does a bunch of work. We have loads of contractors and stuff. And during COVID, um, we kind of all just agreed to like take care of each other a little bit, you know, just like make because there was a lot of like um, 
hazard pay for video production people. Like a lot of internal video teams during COVID weren't like obviously filming stuff. So they were hiring a lot of freelancers to do like work that was like, you know, especially during COVID, a little bit dangerous. Yeah. And some of our folks are like immunocompromised and stuff. So we just sort of all agreed like, all right, let's 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 try and make it work as like a proper you know because for the most part we everyone who works with us is like freelancers who have other jobs and stuff like that and so during covid we we started like working really well together and like doing it like sharing edits with jeremy like just working way more collaboratively than we were previously where i was doing most of the post-production and the guys were kind of just giving me stuff and then i was doing it all yeah Um, and then we sort of came out of that end of it and i was like well okay, we have this like really good team that works well together. We've been saying no to commercial jobs for years because we don't want Noclip to be have paid work on it or anything like that because it'll just tear apart our whole mission and the integrity of the, the whole project. Is there a way to parlay this thing into like, so everyone on the team can continue to have that sort of uh, safety and also that like maybe it can fund projects that are interesting that are kind of outside the reach of Noclip? And honestly, it was about a year of discovery. We said no to... 80% of the stuff that got thrown our way. And then mm. there was a couple of projects that we were like, okay, this seems interesting. Um, okay. And then, yeah, the, the big one was obviously the Valve thing, which was like pretty hard to say no to. Yeah, we were talking about it earlier in the show. I mean, this is your third documentary at least that you've made about, about Half-Life 1? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Half-Life sicko, big fan. <laughs> so how does this happen? Are you, I mean, because you must have been frustrated in the past that you couldn't even get a response from Valve for being uh, included in previous documentaries and now they're coming to your door and begging you for a Half-Life documentary? What the hell's going on? (laughs) Well, I'm sure like everyone here has like that one company that they want to work with and probably also have had the experience of like there are some companies just don't answer calls, right? And like, it's not just me, like Valve or a company that don't have like this sort of, now they sort of have a dedicated PR person or marketing person, but like they're so... I don't know, hard to pin down. They don't have that type of infrastructure. And then there's other crowds like Rockstar, for instance, who like, I know their PR people really well, but they just don't do that much with yeah. certain people, right? They're super controlling. Um, and like, that's just kind of, you know, the way the the wind blows and, and sure. Um, and yeah, but we made the, you know, I'm a big fan of Half-Life and we made that 20th anniversary one um, that, from a position of the same thing that like all these other, you know, there's a the decent community of like Half-Life slash Valve fans that exist on YouTube and Twitch and stuff. Um, I, I think a bunch of us decided it was independently that we wanted to do something. You know, on Black Mesa, you know, I mean, there's, all, there's so much like yeah. passion for the games. So on the 20th anniversary, I decided to do something, reached out, didn't hear back, sort of didn't expect to hear back. Um, and it was a different time, I think. Like, this is pre-Alex. Like, the end of the documentary ends and saying, like, oh, and we'll never play another Half-Life game again. And <laughs> Alex gets announced. And, right, right. Um, and it's awesome. Like, it's 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 incredible. So, um, yeah, so I think I don't... It wasn't a direct response to that. I just think that, like, Fab is a company that I've experienced now, at least, that really just authentically does stuff or authentically doesn't. And it seems like over there at the moment, they have you know, I don't know, a bit more passion to do that type of thing. And like the, all the anniversary stuff that they did was prior to them ever contacting me. And that's really? the real meat. Like that's the work that they were doing was, you know, they made like four new multiplayer maps that's and so like patched cool. a 25 year old game, you know, <laughs> like it's wild. I mean, it's kind of so. summed up. I saw uh, the top comment on the documentary, which is available on uh, Valve's YouTube channel. Uh, 
And the top comment is Valve acknowledging their past is crazy to see. <laughs> and it's like, Kelsey, that must uh, be shocking to you to, to see a company like this suddenly embrace their history. Yeah, I mean, it gives me hope for uh, other famously insular companies becoming a little bit more open to Nintendo. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was, yeah, I was really impressed with just the, um, I don't know, the candidness of it and the, um, you know, really demystifying, I think, a lot of the things that people get excited about when they learn about, like, cut content or, um, you know, like, art that never made it into the game and that sort yeah. of thing. Um, I think is often framed as, like, a, you know, a great tragedy that something, you know, didn't make it and, like, it was some some jerk who wanted to cut it or whatever. And so I think just the the way that... The way that it's presented in a like, yeah, hey, this like this was a really cool enemy, but like these are the exact reasons it got cut and the game is better for it, I think is a really um, I always really appreciate when that kind of stuff is, uh, you know, more transparent. So and also I enjoyed all the Seattle stuff. In there. Mm, that of was, course you gotta I, have that. I don't know why I wasn't expecting that, but I was like, oh my god, they're like they're talking about the Kirkland Costco and like <laughs> you know, all, all these random places in Seattle. Yeah, yeah there, there was a lot more Seattle in it, I think, at one stage. I had a lot more uh, you know, talking about where they were in Kirkland and where they are now in Bellevue and and, and that type of thing. Uh but I had, there was a brutal last week to just try and get the thing pared down to yeah. any sort of length. Um, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny how like the the physicality of a place or the or where I, I've always loved that. I, yes. Maybe it's because I'm you know Irish person transplant all that. I, I've always I liked how it's not every studio, but a lot of studios, the local culture and where they're from is actually such an integral part of of how they operate or maybe the art they make, the games they make. So Yeah, I, I love that. That's yeah. exactly my cup of tea too, is like visiting so many studios when I was at Game Informer. It's like, oh, you can feel the local flavor. Like, okay, I know that Bioware included this name because in Edmonton, there's a store that's named that recently, you know, or like right next to their studio, I think like Samara. Um, oh, but funny. Yeah, I think it, I think what it is, is specifically what I'm referencing is there is, so Bioware used to be in a hotel it was connected to a hotel. There was just like a lobby and then Bioware is over here. And in the hotel area, there's a big sign that says Tamara's Gifts. And it was like a gift store. And it's like, there's no way that that wasn't an influence on the name of Samara for Mass Effect. Like it has to be a direct <laughs> reference. Um, but I'm curious about uh, the, the archives at Valve. Yeah, there's so much cool art of like unused assets, unused enemies, stuff like that. I mean, all those old photos. What is that process like? Are they just opening up the doors and saying dig through all this stuff do they have just a hard drive of all these old assets or how does that work i would uh, kelsey's not gonna like this i would uh i would put half-life in the or valve in the same bucket as a lot of studios i go to where they there are people there who wish they had done a better job of archiving and there's really not that much of an archive there <laughs> like they just they and i think that's like a lot of studios um and you can kind of get a sense of the ones that have because they tend to use it like crystal dynamics we did a documentary with them last year yeah. i think it was and they had a fantastic setup and i know the video game history foundation actually has a bunch of cd stuff because of the amount of times that they upscaled and downsized right i think um uh, frank has a bunch of that um, but they also do as well and it, they had it like well preserved they had it in like a temperature controlled room they had like videotapes and um bunches of photographs and bunches of hard drives and you know marketing materials and and 
loads of bits and bobs. It was a real treat to go there. All the boxes, they had a box of every game they ever made and we filmed all this stuff and they gave us great access to it. Uh, Valve doesn't have that type of thing. There were yeah. some individual people on the team who were basically able to help us out with some stuff. Chuck Jones has an art station page where he publishes a bunch of those images and he basically gave us loads of that stuff, including stuff that he hadn't released. There's a bunch of stuff in there like the G-Man uh, the original G-Man drawing and a bunch of other ones. That was all uh, that stuff. And then, yeah, other people had photographs. Like, a lot of the photographs were from from that. And then I'd say the one thing, and obviously I'm, I'm not, I can't just be like, this is, hey, this is every single thing that happened during this documentary. But, like, for in regards to all of the stuff that you saw, they yeah. also had, uh, you know, modern materials. Like, when they made Raising the Bar, the Half-Life 2 book, they obviously had at that stage scanned a bunch of really high res okay. stuff. So we were able to, they gave us the like print files for that. So that was handy. And I got the coolest thing I got maybe was like the original key art for the Half-Life 1 box. Like that was Ooh, that's like good. the high res version of that. We actually had them. Um, I printed out, it was like super last minute and we, we've got like whoever it was like some print company or like a UPS store or something. We, we had three huge posters printed out of the key art and we had all the team sign all three of them. Um, and I didn't know. I was just like, oh, we. I guess we'll let's get them to sign something because like the chances are this is the only time this is ever going to happen. Yeah. We, we got almost everyone. Obviously, we didn't get Gabe because that was a remote interview. And we didn't get, it was like three people we couldn't get for the doc. But otherwise, we got the whole team. So we just have those. And I'm like, I would either do a charity auction or or give them to a fans or something like that. But that yeah. was, that was the last, that was the, I was like, when you get print files that are that high res, you need to print them, you know, <laughs> it's like uh, the universe is forcing you to do it. How, how uh, bonkers was this for you? Um, is it, was this the most exciting project you ever worked on to? Oh yeah. Oh, really? By okay. A mile. Yeah. By a mile. Any, any one of you imagine like your, your, the thing you love doing professionally the most. And then, your absolute like favorite game like that was that was it and it yeah. was it was a real like i tried to enjoy it i think if i had done this in like my 20s i would have like crunched on it and worked on it furiously and like not really enjoyed the process but i i really tried to like i was like this is if you know number one i was terrified this might not happen the entire time because it's valid right so yep. they, they can just if it's not up to snuff it's, if it's not good enough they can just go oh well we tried and then oh, it never God. goes out and then you know i live in creative purgatory the rest of my life um uh but then i i was thinking like oh if, if i complete this thing and like just work my ass off on and don't enjoy the process of it, it what what was the point so I, I tried to like enjoy it as much as i could like we had a really good vibe going for the interviews we spread them out a little bit so everyone was like the team and myself and the interviewees like in, i think they enjoyed it the feedback i heard back was that people oh, nice. really enjoyed reminiscing and getting into it we like set up a um valve's it department were amazing they set up this pc uh with like an old school crt which i requested and they were able to pull it off with the game on it so whenever people came in we had them jump on the game nice. immediately just to get the memories flowing and then we filmed a bunch of that stuff um that's super yeah, smart just, I, I think like that's that's the challenge is like okay these people have been telling half-life stories for 25 years like how do you make it fresh for them and like i always think of um i don't know if you watch that hulu documentary series called 321 mccartney no where it's like it's rick rubin interviewing paul mccartney which is like okay paul mccartney has told these stories about the beatles over and over and over again but the cool idea is 
he actually had the masters. And so he was playing isolated tracks to be like, oh, wow. hey, let's just listen to the baseline of this song. And you can hear like the background noise in the studio. Like, is this sparking anything new? And it led to like a ton of new old Beatles stories just to like shake him up out of his rhythm by giving him some <laughs> different input other than tell me about the Beatles. What was it like to work okay. with John? You know? uh, but I felt like that there were a couple of times in this documentary where I could feel you were kind of kickstarting the memories of like, all right, let's show them the old photos together of like going on that trip to Mexico or just like having other people walk in the room and like capturing the hugs like yeah I, I like that idea of just baking in the tricks to to spark some freshness for these old stories for them because they were all enthusiastic in the video like it really came across yeah they were it was funny you had a mixture of people who had talked about this actively and thought about it maybe from time to time and then you had people who literally had not played the game since it came out mm. like it was very uh, interesting and we run into this problem. We we tell we, there's this thing we do, especially because we do a lot of like on with no clip, especially a lot of interviewing people who have either never done an interview or you know are just very nervous and stuff. And we do this thing called asking like automatic questions, which is when we sit people down, especially if they're nervous, we'll ask them like lizard brain questions, like you know, um, where did you grow up? What type of games did you play? Qu- stuff that like, <laughs> how did you join the company? Like questions yeah. that they don't have to think about at all. It's just, it's part of their internal storytelling and they're just able to vocalize them as quickly as possible. The problem with retrospective stuff is then you run into that problem where people will just sort of tell the version that they've told themselves yep. and it could come off as inauthentic or very skin deep or something like that. Um, so uh, yeah, for them, it was a lot of like, um, like tunneling into the stuff that they found interesting and then asking really tricky questions about it. Like Karen, uh, the texture artist, was yeah. our first interview and she's like probably my favorite interview of the bunch because it was just such an interesting perspective. She had such a particular role. It was such a like a high pressure role. It's such an undervalued role, I think, in the history we, t- we tell ourselves about that game in particular. Um, I, but it's also so important. Like if you imagine we show a bunch of the Half-Life Alpha footage and you're like, the game feels completely, it feels like a cartoon when you see that. Right. And when you see the game with all the photo reference, you're like, oh yeah, that's like a large part of the special sauce of this game is this crazy job from somebody who had never worked in the games industry prior to this job. She, you know, worked at a, she worked at like a, you know, like an art house in Chicago for some famous like oh, person who made like quilts or something. It was, uh, it was really interesting stuff. So like, yeah, like with people like that, you, you're, yeah, you're sort of like Rick, like a shake in the bush. You're trying to get some of the stories out of there as much as you can. Um, but they were all very giving. Like I was, I was very generous to everyone. There was people who like flew in from out of state. There was a lot of people who were like, most of these folks are retired or, you know, working in, different uh, you know positions within the industry maybe and, yeah um it was i was really grateful that they all turned up and then they had that willingness to talk like harry as well harry talking about his 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 uh, family situation and his mm-hmm. wife yachts and um i feel like i understood maybe how much work he, himself and yahtzee had done on the textures prior to karen sort of finished like doing mm. the entire game on her own for the last year and a half um but um uh yeah like all that stuff was and and to valve's credit like Nothing got caught. There was nothing that, that nice. like I presented in a cost that they were like, "Oh, we're not feeling too good about that." Like literally, nothing got caught. From, that, that's from the nice. Final. Yeah, and stuff got added. They were actually like, "Oh, we think um, Mark Laidlaw is being too humble. Can we like big him up a little bit more?" So that's funny. <laughs> threw in some extra people talking about him. That's an interesting yeah. detail. Yeah, I like. There's that quick line too, where um, the texture artist is like, "You know, being the only woman at Valve was not great." 
Uh, and I think that could be a whole documentary in of itself, but it's like, oh, that's nice to see for a documentary that's paid for by the company that at least they're willing to throw that line in there or not ask it for it to be trimmed, you know? Yeah, I had a bunch of stuff in there that was like, you you put it in and you're like, here are the things that you're I'm putting in for me that I feel like if I don't try and get this in, I'll feel like like I didn't I don't know advocate hard enough for it or yeah you, so sometimes there's parts of the story that you like have to do extra you, you really tr- I don't know try and do extra work on to make sure that they're justified within the scope of the story and this is like not just a client thing this is also like when we're doing internal tests on stuff on Noclip like maybe there's a part of the story that I think is really interesting but I'm like oh maybe maybe people won't find it interesting and you, you sort of work extra hard to justify it within the edit mm-hmm. um, and there was a couple of parts like that, that like Harry's part as well where I, I really felt like there was importance like um there's like there's a humanity there and there's a there's a um sort of a vulnerability but you're also playing with the fact that you're you're really trying not to make especially with a paid gig you're conscious of making propaganda and using mm-hmm. people's life experiences sort totally. of whitewash and stuff so there was a very delicate dance there but i felt like especially with harry's story as well with his the photograph of his daughter like there is a sort of lore about that photo- photograph that mm. exists within the Half-Life community and getting him to talk about it was one thing. And then the fact that it goes off in this direction that really people didn't like when he was telling me, I was like, shook. I was, yeah. you know, because I had thought about that photograph for a long time. And then he was telling me about his daughter growing up um, uh, and the difficulty they had. Uh, I thought like that was a moment, especially for like the hardcore Half-Life fans to like really I don't know, connect with really on a human level with the developers that these yeah. are just people who made this game and are these like gods. They're like fragile people who, you know, had difficult times during this and had difficult times for years later, or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talk about what it would be like if you made this project in your twenties and watching it. I was like, I bet there'd be lef- less references to the, the kids and the challenges of like work-life balance. If you're making this, <laughs> you know, that in yeah. Too, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's big softy. <laughs> I see it now. Uh, sorry, Kelsey, did you have more thoughts on the, the documentary? Just the idea of a company paying for its own history to be surfaced this way. Do you trust oh, Danny's I, but- work? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do. And I, I'm so glad you, um, uh, we've had this discussion about, um, putting people back in, you know, in their old brains, like from when they were working on this. Um, I know when uh, when I did a podcast with you at the Video Game History Hour, um, I'm pretty sure this was you who gave me the tip, uh, ask people where they went to get lunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, I, I love, I just love hearing, <laughs> yeah, I, I love hearing these ways to put people back um, in the time that they were working on things because, I mean, Shoot, I couldn't tell you about like three years ago, no. you know, like and and so it's such it's such a psychological art to actually surface interesting information as opposed to like what you just said, which is just the story they've been telling themselves about, yeah. you know, um, about what they worked on. And so I don't know, I, I really, really appreciate uh, just your ability to bring some new some new light to these things, some um, some interesting color. And I mean, I made the joke about the Kirkland Costco, but I mean it. Like, that's not something that probably would have just come up organically right? when you're like, oh, yeah, I was the texture artist. And I went to the Kirkland Costco without some sort of uh, probing or engineering there. So <laughs> it's, well, I appreciate it. It was an excellent watch. Um, it's, what, a little over an hour? So pretty... Yeah, an hour and five we, we got it down to. the orig- Yeah, I won't say how long the original cut was because then I'll have people asking to watch or it. At least the... Uh, Cut yeah, right. 
And it's <laughs> like, yeah, I released the no B-roll version. Uh, it, it reminded me a lot of what the video game history of Foundation does and what a lot of like people within just the grander sphere of 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 um preservation do in that like at many points you guys especially with the projects over the years um had the you were you were sort of burdened with the responsibility of being the only person who's going to do this so you better do it right 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 yes. like you, you sort of you know and i was like oh i can't believe this door is opening i better not fumble this one because <laughs> like this is the and a lot of these people are like getting old you know what i mean mm-hmm. like bill van buren's a, you know that's he's a He's a very spry, you know, dude. And a lot of these folks are very like, you know, Ken Birdwell. They're like, you know, they're they're, they're compass mentis. They're, they're living it. They're, but like you're thinking, yeah, this is probably the last time for a while we're going to get these people th- together as well. Is yeah. the other thing. Um, so, yeah, we tried to squeeze as much out of them as humanly possible. Hey, but- mission accomplished. You squeezed them. All right. Um, let's see. <laughs> That's Kelsey, real tactic. Uh, Kelsey, uh, I know you got to get rolling. Um, any final thoughts before you clap on out of here? Um, no, thanks for, thanks for having me on. And, um, Danny, I'm looking forward to whatever's next. This, this was awesome. Yeah. Hopefully next time I'm in Seattle, we'll p- pop on by the store as well. we'll yeah, we'll, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Bye Kelsey. Thank you. Bye. You got to clap out though. Uh, okay. I know we should be done talking about Half-Life, but we aren't, um, had you had you ever interacted with you guys Half Life fans? I, like, I'm very interested if you guys like. Oh yeah, I have the box guys... back there. Yeah, uh, but uh, my my greatest sin is I've never finished it because I get motion sickness and it just destroys me. It just levels me. But but it was like back in the day. Like this is the coolest thing ever. I'm going to play this opening again and again until I want to puke. Level of thing. Yeah, <laughs> I even like tried watching your. Uh, your YouTube series with Half Life Alex. I'm like, maybe I could just watch Danny play it, and then even like halfway through that, I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I'm sorry, but this thing seems sweet too. My unforgivable sin is like, Alex is the only one I finished, and the only one that I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. It's like I kind of appreciate them, but my weird take is like they all should have been vr and like the half-life when i'm playing half-life 2 i'm like this game wishes it was in vr (laughs) (laughs) which you know wouldn't happen for another 15 years but like yeah i can see it it's a lot of touching things it's a lot of like being in a space and and yeah that sort of like yeah intimate detail i love alex i'm glad you do too i think uh, I wish more people had, had the access to play it, but it's such a special thing. They actually have made, someone made, and I think Valve did that thing where they kind of gave it their like stamp of approval. Like there is a total conversion Half-Life 2 VR mod that I've played yeah, a little bit of, and it's it's neat, but it's also, it's like, yeah, that, that game is, is pretty long, and so it's like an intense <laughs> VR session. I couldn't believe how long Alex ended up being. I remember playing it and being like, oh, this will be as long as the... You know the the episodes. It'll be like you know five or six hours. It was like ten or something. It was like yeah, it went on forever. And also, it came out like the week COVID happened over here, right? So it was right. Just very, no, it was I, I, I remember thing. having to do. It was like my first experience doing a drive up order because I had to like upgrade my PC to go to get it to run. And I remember like going to Best Buy and like oh, wow. you know, having them drop stuff in my trunk. And I was like, I, I got to play Alex. This is like, <laughs> it's more important than, than this. My, the safety of myself and my family. You gotta do it. Uh, but yeah, just to, to finish up what we're talking about, like unlike these uh, idiots, I'm a cool, oh. smart guy. Oh, and I love okay. the Half-Life series. Right. And, uh, it was just talk, t- talking to Jacob about how 
there was a long period of time where I would just boot up the end of Half-Life 2 for like years and just like play through the last like two hours of that game all the time. Amazing. I love just that. Like, oh, with the, with the gravity gun. Oh, the yeah. Stupid yeah. up one. Yeah. Yeah, man. absolutely. Kyle doesn't even have red hair. He just dyes his hair orange just to try and be more in the spirit mm-hmm. of Half-Life. It's really a bold it's move. A Gordon right. Freeman cosplay 24-7. <laughs> I love it. Uh, okay. Uh, Gabe Newell. Your first time interacting with Gabe Newell was... No, this? I met him once. <laughs> no, technically no. Professionally, yes. Uh, technically, no. I, went, I met him at Gabe gamescom in leipzig in 2007 um uh and i was a left for dead they had a left for dead oh wow two bus they were driving around germany and <laughs> of course i went up to him and i was like just nerding <laughs> out because i was like i don't know 20 or something uh and i said like a half life's the first game i ever completed on pc and he said that's pretty cool and we took <laughs> and that was it so it's a good game that was, yeah, nice. that was my interaction with gabe Neil prior so that, to that was that post orange box or was that Right, That's it was before Left 4 Dead? Maybe it might have been 2006, actually. Okay. I think. I think it was Left 4 Dead 2, because I remember it had the cool the hand with the two. Oh, okay. Right? So it definitely was after Orange Box and all that. I think, yeah, it must have been. Yeah, yeah. And so was it um, tough to get new quotes out of him this time around, or was he just saying that's pretty cool over and over again for every question you cool. asked? <laughs> Gabe is definitely somebody who, um, and I got this impression when I watched other interviews with him, where he is, uh, he is... Um, he he has sort of answers to some of these questions probably in his head, right? Or he or he frames the question you ask in something that he is finding interesting in the current moment. I think mm. as well. Um, so, but like we needed him uh, by the time we did the interview with him because that was a remote thing. So I did that on a video camera or on a on a screen. He was talking to me on a screen. You could see me in some of the reflections in his glasses. And we had a there was a, a gentleman who works for. Um, uh, over there for valve who who can go film stuff so he he did an awesome job um really great guy to work with and uh um but the interview for that came in near the end we had done every other interview so it was a lot easier to do that one because i knew exactly where i was plugging him in right like oh yeah we'll get you to talk about um all the founding stuff with mike and then i'll pepper you in here and there whenever makes sense but there wasn't that much of a burden on on him um, I think the final line from him is kind of I think a good that's in a way that's a nod to the Half-Life community because there is this um, there was an interview Tyler McVicker did years ago with Gabe uh, Tyler run, used to run Valve News Network and now he does it under his own name uh, on YouTube uh, and he does a bunch of like videos that are like guessing what Valve is doing next right, right. You know? yeah yeah that's that type of stuff and a lot of his he swings and misses a lot but he he also like He's super passionate and, and um, you know, there's a there's a community around him of people who are very interested in these games. And I really enjoyed watching his um, watch through of the documentary. In my head, oh. a lot of the time I was like, well, Tyler, like this part, really. He was like my hardcore fan proxy. But he did an interview with Gabe years ago where Gabe talked about the fact that he doesn't, where Valve doesn't look backwards a lot. Which right. is sort of like people are now saying like, oh, it's cool that like this version of Valve seemingly is more interested in doing that. Um but the final line from him in the doc was just a way of sort of, in a way, explaining his perspective on it, which is that he doesn't really look back very often. Like, he isn't that type of person. So even getting him on camera to do this, I think, was was pretty cool. Um, yeah. There was no resistance. He was down to do it. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's uh, something to that, just for that type of mind. I mean, it always seems like every time you're talking about the past with Miyamoto, which, you know, is every interview that poor guy has done right. over the last 40 years, but it's always this feeling, I'm just like, I, I don't know, what, I just make up Mario lore, Zelda lore, like, we're just moving on, it truly doesn't matter, but he'd rather talk about, 
I'm sure some weird tech trinket or some toy that's on the shelf at Target rather than the lore of Yoshi. It's like, who the hell cares? We're trying to move forward here, you know? And so that's what maybe it takes to be that much of a visionary. Was it exciting to get on camera a replacement for the made up Miyamoto quote? That was funny. uh, He actually attributes it to... I I didn't put his attribution in because I trimmed it because I liked it just cutting to him and saying, uh, was it delay is... Uh, annoying suck is forever or whatever he said suck is forever is the funniest one he did say <laughs> i think he knew that it was attributed to miyamoto but also knew that that was incorrect because okay. he, he he attributed it in a really interesting way which was sort of wouldn't have would have been more confusing to put in the doc where he said something like there's a quote that i i'm not sure exactly where the original version of it comes from but it basically goes like and mm. then he says it. so i think he was aware that it was a quote but also that it was misattributed so he was trying it's just, to like, it's so funny to like have it on camera you know because the the miyamoto one is just kind of like randomly posted on screenshots of him thousands of times a day on reddit right, right, right. it's, it's a like a business the, card for some reason you know no one knows why it, it reminds me of the uh did you ever see the patrick stewart one where he's sitting down and it's like a quote from Harry Potter uh, it's like <laughs> no. but it's but it's a chip but Patrick Stewart sitting there and and there's like I think also there's like Firefly the Firefly ship is fl- is it floating in the back, in the back oh, yeah, and it's like attributed to Gandalf or something it's like that one where it's like clearly uh you know intentionally not not accurate but um yeah that was that was funny I didn't think you never know what people are going to re- um resonate with as well and for i didn't think people would resonate with that part but then it was like all these articles written <laughs> gave saying that i, I thought um, um is, is a good quote and i forget who said it but they made it seem like well this is an old phrase or an old uh i don't know axiom is that the word for game adage. development but i'd never heard of it adage there we go um but the guy who's like uh yeah it turns out um if you're lucky good video game companies they can make two games worth of stuff and then throw away the bad game it's like, oh, that's such a I fascinating that way to look at it. But like, you're so lucky if you're at a studio that can afford to do that. But that's ultimately what it takes to make a game like Half-Life. Yeah, it's fun. I love that one as well. And to your point about like some developers, like a lot of developers have trouble talking about the past. And the the one I liked because they just don't remember it. Like, yeah. and and it's frustrating for them because like they're like, well, the internet remembers more about this than I do. Um, and the one I always love to bring up is um uh, with Deus Ex. If you ask Harvey Smith anything about Deus Ex, he's like, I just don't know, man. Like, I couldn't tell you, like, what we were thinking, any of that sort of stuff. You ask Warren Spector and he'll talk to you for, like, five hours about it, right? <laughs> so, like, it's, it's people just, like, it's, it's, it has more to do, I think, with just, like, our brain chemistry as individuals and the way in which we relate to the world. Like, I'm very bad at, like, remembering my past. Oh, and, yeah. I, I, and I, in a way, maybe don't want to because it's, like, the past is full of mistakes and things that like i wish i could have changed whereas the future is this sort of like um you know perfect canvas and anything can go on the future you know and that's the way i relate to the world but then i have you know siblings or friends who completely see the world in a different way where the future is this scary unknown and the past is this comforting thing so yeah people are just like you know it, it's it's funny like people harvey would say like oh people think that i don't like talking about my old games but it's like i just don't remember much about that. that's probably the logical way to go i think I love Warren Spector and love interviews with Warren Spector, but maybe you have to be a little bit of a showman to care that much about yeah, your right. past. You know what I mean? Where I think he he enjoys kind of having the, the patter down. And like, it's, it's Harvey is probably the logical route there because I don't know if you all had that experience of just being 100% certain about something about your past. And then you see evidence that just explodes your mind. You know, like, you know, not too long ago, I was remembering like, God, I remember I was 
on this cover story trip for Game Informer when I learned about like this death about somebody very important to me. And then I was looking at like photos and realizing like, oh, that was completely wrong. I was like a year off. But in my mind, I would have gone to the mat arguing like, no, it was this moment in this time in this lobby. It's like, no, 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 completely not. And so, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe no one should talk about their past, Danny, and then we'll be out of jobs. <laughs> uh, let's see. Beaten Down Brian uh, wrote in. Uh, we have community questions if you're down for that, Danny. Yeah, absolutely. All of course. Right. Beaten Down Brian writes in. talking about Half-Life stuff. I, I feel like I'm cramming the airwaves here. <laughs> I don't think people mind too much. Uh, Beaten Down Brian says, congrats to Danny and the team on the documentary and shout out from Carlo. Yeah, there you go. That's a, do you know what Carlo is? I assume it's a small guess. Irish town or something? It's a county in Ireland, just north of where I grew up in Waterford. So good old Carlo. Carlo had the first video game development degree in the country. I had a friend who went there. In fact, really? I had friends who... Health basically did my final year project for me um, because my coding was so bad. So I went up to Carlo, had them do it, and then presented it and got a good degree. So thanks, nice. guys. Such so free. Appreciate <laughs> uh, Aging poorly writes in and says, "Hey team, and welcome, Danny. Um, hey, Ireland is sorely underrepresented as a video game setting. Danny, pitch me the ideal video game set in Ireland that would take advantage of the culture. And Hanson, Kyle, and Jacob, have you been to Ireland?" <laughs> Um, you have Jacob? I have. I was. Uh, I think I was in middle school, so it's a, a long time ago. But I, you know, I, I saw the cliffs of Moher and went to Blarney Castle and did all that. Excellent! All the tourist traps. I like. That's it. right. They're, yeah, they're good traps, though. They're they're good fun. And my town always gets missed because it's in the southeast. So they, you do the west coast and the south, and then you go straight back up to Dublin. So we're like like Hobbiton. No one ever visits. You know, it's like this <laughs> quiet little town. I was just talking with my wife actually, and Danny, you might want to cover your ears. But we're talking about like, oh, we should go on a big trip. Where we're going to go for this trip, and she's really pushing for like, let's take a train ride through Ireland. Like that sounds so good, and I. I have the wrong take, to be clear. 100% wrong take, but my take is like, I want to be surprised by a place. And Ireland seems lovely, but I don't think I'm going to go there and be like, this is completely different than what I expected. And like, I, that's the level of vacation that I'm gunning for. So Danny, is that um, condescending and demeaning to your beloved homeland? No, that's fine. I would say okay. don't... The tr- the train system's not great. I'd say okay. get like a car and go to, you know, you can go someplace. You can get to Galway, Cliffs and Mower, but you'd have to get a car. And then if you're driving south, you'd have trouble. Um, uh, but yeah, it's more of a rent a car, kind of drive around island. And yeah, I'd say it's, I don't know. I, I'd say Jacob may, might be a better, better version of somebody to answer this. I'd, I'd, I think it is quite relaxing and yeah. like chill and like, you know, people are generally nice, hopefully, and, and it's like cozy, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's like, you know, the most exciting place yeah, to that's, visit. That's perhaps. fine. I mean, I'm not looking for bungee jumping, you know, so maybe it's the right place to go relax <laughs> you, and drink a beer. Do you guys know any games that were set in Ireland? Folklore? From nice, got it. Whoa, Kyle! Nice. Good what do pull, I get? Man. What do I win? <laughs> a copy of Folklore a on the PS3. Pull. Yeah, uh, that game was cool. That game looked cool. <laughs> like good art art direction in that game. Yeah, and I'm looking was... it up. I mean, if found. Oh, the, yeah, 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 yeah. We did play that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That I made the two times. That, actually, yeah. Yeah, the folklore one I was like, because that's a Japanese studio as well, wasn't it? I believe oh, so. Yeah, that was like an early PS3 game, if I remember correctly. And the, the other weird one is that there's a, there's somebody singing an Irish song at the start of Metal Gear Solid, which is very strange to Irish Oh, the dun, 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 dun. really? Yeah, that's, that's all in Irish. Yeah. It's Whoa. Weird. What are they saying? <laughs> Having a clue. 
Really? Snake, don't do it. Take <laughs> up, <pick> up rations. <laughs> what a thrill. Is that, uh, it's just I think so. The same I think so. Over. <laughs> it was a callback. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that is the ideal video game set uh, in Ireland then? Is something like a folklore? folklore. Or what would you go folklore. for? Well, for yeah, I don't know. I think was, was cool because it was a lot of Irish folklore, like literally, right? Which was like a cool yeah. idea. Which, which I think is a good one. Like, I think there's, there is a lot, like, Irish Celtic mythology is, like, pretty badass. Like, you know, you get, like, your your Fionn McCool's, like, the Hound. There's a lot of, like, um, when 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 Christianity was sort of brought over or Catholicism was brought over to Ireland, there's sort of, like, the, the two ways in which you dominate a culture with your religion. You either, like, destroy the foundation of the culture and history and, and prior, you know, uh, polytheistic thinkings of the time, or you just kind of allow it to exist as some sort of mythos that perhaps is like, oh yeah, this is our God. But like before that God, th there was all this old stuff. Like that's that's totally okay. And that's kind of what happened in Ireland. We did lose a, a decent chunk of our history as far as I know with some of that stuff, but a lot of it got brought over and retained. And like, that's where you get like, I'm trying to think like uh, there was a lot of like t two a day Danim stuff that people thought was uh, Elden Ring was sort of inspired by and stuff like that. Mm. Some Celtic bits and bobs. I don't think it was as much as people thought when they saw the trailers, but there's loads there. Like, and you know, you hear, you know, the Banshees in Halo, Irish people got a kick out of because it was like, oh, cool, there's Banshees. And, you know, it's just the name of a thing. But the scream is there, right? When it turns, it goes right, like, right. and you're like, oh, that's, you know, Banshees just an old it's an old g ghost of basically it's just the wind but it's like the sound of an old crone howling outside your house at night and it's a way to keep kids from leaving the house and stuff like that that's so perfect there's there's loads of stuff like that but yeah there's loads of like really interesting like irish mythology that i think like folklore does a good job of pulling on that but in terms of mechanically i don't know like everyone would always, it's a normal thing where everyone would be like Oh, I'd love if Grand Theft Auto was set in Dublin, you know. Yeah, that but it's the classic thing. thing. Right. The one thing I was really in, um, somewhat irritated by was when they did the Assassin's Creed DLC that was yeah. set in Dublin. So I'm from Waterford in the southeast, which is the original Viking settlement in Ireland. It was the original uh, capital, like before Dublin uh, was done, maybe 40 years later, I think, by by Vikings. And like, I grew up with like Viking walls everywhere. Like my town was founded in 904, and we'd like skateboard beside you know, in parts of town that were just, there's the Viking walls, they're right there, and the, Ang the Anglo-Norman walls were right beside those, and they were a couple of hundred years older than that, but, like, these ancient, like, thousand-year walls are everywhere, and, like, Viking, you know, the name of the town Waterford is Vedrafjord, which is Goatfjord. Like, it's it's super Viking, and I was like, I was like, the one time my town might get in a game, and they went for fucking Dublin. I was like, <laughs> so, so annoyed by it, but that, the Dublin one, that was pretty cool, at least, to see some of that. Um, yeah, yeah, you know stuff in the game. Uh, Elvis Canaveral writes in. They say, "What games would you suggest these holidays to play with family and friends that are outside of gaming that would help promote future gaming together?" What do you bring home over the holidays that uh, for people who aren't real big gamers is the question. Warrior, where move it? I, Kyle, I'm in the exact same camp. I'm going to bring it over and play with my nephews and. I worried about it, Bring except like for... like a thousand Joy-Cons. <laughs> and you gotta have the straps and the wrist straps and all that stuff. I'm ready to go on that front. But, like, there's specifically a mode where... The one where it's, like... It's a multiplayer mode where you don't fail. You just, like, get more points if you get it right. It's like the it's like a whole gym vibe aesthetic and thing. It's like, I think oh. that's gonna be the key. Because I think 
it'd be, it'd get really frustrating to play WarioWare as a, no offense, stupid little kid, and then just constantly get a game over because you don't know what the hell's going on at the screen at any moment, you know? But I do think that's a good one. There's always the, the, the phone-it-in answer of Jackbox, but there is some good stuff in there. I haven't yeah, played the feels, new one yet. It feels is boring, it? but and it's like, yeah, they're always good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, TKO2 is in there, so it's like, that's a, that's a lock, right? That's going to be a good time to play with your family if you want to. Order what's, some shirts. what's the movie one where you write in what the, the dub lines? what the, that that is one oh, the one yeah. that my daughter like that's what she always wants to play over jackbox is is what the dub she likes that one a lot it's so funny yeah is, is that pc only Ooh. we play it on xbox oh it's right. xbox. okay it is. i mean okay. it's functionally like jackbox you use your phone to play you right know? Yeah, and then they went on and they did like a licensed Rift Tracks game, like that same team. But I don't know, maybe we're just in a different mood, but we did play, we played the Rift Tracks version last year for our charity stream, and it wasn't as fun as What the Dub. There's something kind of pure about that yeah, one, you know? What the Dub's it, simpler, yeah. I think. There was a, we were talking, I was talking to some of the um, Jackbox people earlier this year, actually. I was wondering if that would be an interesting um, story to tell because yeah. they're, it's, they're kind of a weird studio. Like there are a lot of, it's a lot of comedians. Like, yep. It's a lot of like people outside. It's like the Chicago com- like comedy scene is kind of the foundation of it. A lot of them wrote on TV shows and stuff. And yeah, it sounds like it's, it's like kind of a, like a very, just a different type of studio that's made, which I always like that. The Half-Life one is kind of like that too, where you get a lot of people who aren't traditional game developers in the room and suddenly some really interesting answers to problems start to appear. Right, right. I, I think I thought about the Jackbox thing too and I, I enjoyed interviewing those folks and talking to them and they're funny, but it's like talking about funny things that happened in that studio, it's not yeah. going to be that fun, but like, you know what, If it'd be sweet if you could get in the door and like film the first pitch session for Jackbox Party Pack 11. You know what I mean? That's like just cool. pull, just the pure whiteboard phase of like, what is an idea here? Just come in for like three different pockets of that game's development. I think and it's just it someone have... in the corner smoking a cigar saying TKO three. <laughs> and you know, everybody like whenever somebody like lobs a sequel, they're like, oh, okay, cool. Good idea. Quiplash four. Brilliant. <laughs> Give this guy a raise. Okay. Have you, did you ever hear that? This American life story. It's an older one where they were sat in the office of the onion for a while oh that's a good one which was like it was great because like the big thing that they learned from that story was like the pitch meetings are so sterile really it's like a lot of people no one laughs they're just like very (laughs) analytical they just instantly are like yes yes that is funny okay but let's change this word here like it's you should it's it's really fascinating i I really like that story that's sweet uh on the uh tabletop front and it's barely a tabletop game but I, I bought it at like a Walgreens, but I've had a really good time with it with family. I think it works well. But poetry for Neanderthals. Has anybody played that? Mm. Uh, so it's a game where you it's basically like a taboo. You, have, you get a prompt, you get a word and you're trying to get people to guess the word, but you can only use one syllable words to describe it. <laughs> and so you end up just sounding like a Neanderthal is the idea. But the hook, especially for kids, is it comes with like a big inflatable club. And so if you say oh, more cool. than two syllable or more than one syllable, then you get hit in the head with the club. So That's it's an automatic hit, man. That's like that throw, throw burrito. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not playing that was like just a nightmare. Yeah, we <laughs> lost a burrito immediately. Yeah, there's no way you're going to hang on to that. Uh, Sean Rubin writes in and says, hey, man, Max, uh, what's your favorite musical? I've been on a Sondheim kick lately. And while the 2014 Disney adaptation of Into the Woods wasn't that great, the original Broadway cast production was wonderful. Uh, that's great. Yeah, I watched that movie after a lot of hype, and I was like, eh, I don't really get it. I think it's cool structurally, but I don't know. but yeah, favorite musical? What jumps out for folks? Are you guys musical heads? 
I'm getting ah. there. I'm it, late in my yeah. life, in these, in the waning years of my life. Now I'm becoming and realizing, like, oh, I, I've really always liked musicals. I think they're really fun. <laughs> I, I, I really like the kind of genre pushing ones where it is, it is not simply you tell a story and then people like sing a song, you know, at some point. But like, um, I remember seeing Billy Elliot. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. is like really good because they do a lot of experimental stuff with dance and it's like okay I've seen people singing before but like here's this <laughs> this incredible dance thing I saw uh, last year or maybe two years ago um, I saw a, a new Broadway production of Oklahoma that was touring cool. that I remember bringing it up and uh, Joe Juba immediately got like mad because he's like is that the one where they don't have any fun uh, and the answer is like yes but it's this very weird version of Oklahoma where they like you know which is a, a very kind of like classic uh you know kind of kind of milk toast musical but they like really get in with like weird character motivations and like the the inherent violence of the setting uh it's really Ooh. interesting huh i've I never like i think that's one that doesn't for obvious reasons maybe doesn't get as much touring in in Europe, uh, <laughs> right? But I, yeah, I've never seen that. That's cool. Well, weirdly, like Miss Saigon would, and like South Pacific, I guess to a oh, certain really? extent as uh, well. I like a bad musical. I like like South Pacific's a, like a terrible musical, but like it's got a couple of really good numbers in it, um, and it's just like of an era. I think. I think it for me, it depends on what like you know. If it's a local production, give me like Sweeney Todd or something. Yeah. You know, that's like you don't need a lot of bombast for it. It's kind of silly and uh, you know i like the gruesomeness of it works better on a smaller stage and then if it's like something big like i think les mis only works if you see like if you see it like in london it's like really good right it's like this really cool thing but i think it's like going to it in like a crappy old theater in london where like your view is obvious like it's kind of an experience that way i think there's like like the setting i think makes a big difference yeah totally yeah the gruesome um, littleness the, makes me think of like little shop of horrors it's like that right. i love yeah, that movie growing fun, up right? and like that's always awesome yeah um i haven't seen the movie of it so i don't know if it's a good replacement but um uh, in the Heights, Lin Manuel Miranda's yeah, like yeah. first one, which I saw like pre Hamilton right. buzz or whatever. It was it, it felt like revelatory in that like people were rapping and whatever, and I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is so cool. And now it's like because everything has kind of been Lin Manuel Miranda ified. Right, it, it doesn't feel as fresh. But like seeing that for the first time, I was like, this is my new favorite musical. Yeah, I oh. wish I had seen it. Like I'd never. And when I sat down to see Hamilton. For the first time, I literally did not know they were going to rap. I knew nothing about oh, it. Really? Oh, that's oh, yeah. awesome. And yeah, and I sat down and I, the first number came on and I looked at my wife and was like, is this, is this? And I, there was a lady behind me who had the same reaction, but like a negative one, like, oh, are they going to rap the entire thing? You know, like some <laughs> old lady. And I was like, oh, is this really? Is this all right? Like, yeah. And I think like Hamilton's like kind of played out at this stage in many ways. Very you know, people, so. it's been around for so long and it, it obviously like took up a lot of you know nothing big came behind it i think was its problem like not for him just in i think in musical circles the big mainstream success of that show there wasn't many other big ones behind it but like yeah it is it is a really well put together show i think yeah i really uh loved recently i saw a local production of merrily we roll along speaking of sondheim which is my favorite way to experience a musical i guess just like you danny is like i like to go in completely cold i've heard the name before i don't know anything beyond that and it rocked me i Freaking loved it. And the, the premise. About? So uh, it's about uh, a writer of musicals, believe it or not. 
um, and kind of a creative partnership. But the cool idea is that it all goes backwards. So the final scene is like, hey, you're big and successful, but turns out you're kind of miserable. And then every scene just jumps backwards in time and you get to see like all the friendships that shattered along the way to the final result. And so it's like a fun twist because it's called Merrily We Roll Along and the musical gets more optimistic as it goes. But the only reason that's happening is because you're going in reverse back to when his life uh, oh, before man. he completely sold out and like it. This is a weird thing, Danny. Uh, forgive me for connecting too many dots, but like you had, I think it was just a, a Twitter thread a while ago talking about how in this phase of your life, all your dreams have come true and now you need to learn to be content, to be happily content. Wait, do I write this? Yeah. Do you not remember this? I must have been drunk. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought about it a lot where like I feel so lucky at this point in my life and I feel like I'm a sucker for storylines about people getting successful and getting miserable. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. a certain genre. Like feed me that story a thousand times, please. And merely go along is that. I yeah. think I'm I were I'm fearful of it. Especially in this like especially in uh, not especially maybe this is gonna sound like such a first world problem, but like I do feel like a lot of the folks who are like ahead of us generationally in this industry do end up like either either sort of i don't know discontented yes. or like or or the, the issue that i remember when i worked at GameSpot for years seeing like oh when you like enter your 40s and you're doing this work you have to go get a real job you know what i mean yep. like you you, you got to this 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 cheap labor don't play when you've got like kids to feed right so i remember yeah i'm sure a lot of you've had that experience too where you're just like oh i gotta like how is it that everyone always ends up leaving when they're in their like mid-30s i gotta right this but now i wonder can our generation retire from this job happily have we found a better have we cracked the code i think you can take off the happily part okay (laughs) can anyone retire at all yeah good point yeah uh Tom Blackburn writes in, says, What game has the best use of no HUD? I love the getaway, indicating your health by the blood on your shirt and giving you directions on your turn signals. They took my answer. Oh, it was the getaway? (laughs) I wasn't even going to say it was my favorite, but I just remember being fascinated by that and then playing it and being like, I don't know if this works, but like, I appreciate that they really (laughs) tried something here. (laughs) Like, the fact that you get health back by just like walking over to a wall and leaning on it for a couple seconds, I was like, I think this is. Uh, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's a cool but they, idea. they really tried something. Damn it, they tried something. Yeah, and there's a HUD in the game, but I do really like in Mafia Three uh, how they like show you where to go instead of just having the the line on the road. It's just like they make a diegetic uh, signs on the street telling you like, "Hey, turn here, turn here," type of thing. Um, oh, I think it was yeah. like I think it's like the same UI designers Spinner Cell conviction is that the one that does a similar thing i think where they put a bunch of signage in the world but mafia 2 i think that's how they dealt with the gps problem if i remember is that right okay is that your car would automatically do a turn signal i think okay gotcha gotcha that's i's having a false memory maybe of that no that, that sounds right the thing i always liked about mafia 2 that i remember was like because if you if you just like sped through the city the cops would go after you so you could press a button to make sure you never went over the speed limit yes. if you were trying to be safe i always like i thought that was cool i thought that worked well okay yeah because there's nothing worse than like getting dinged for you know going two miles an hour over the speed limit like they'd <laughs> yeah. never do that like come on <laughs> uh um, there's the uh the thing in near automata where you can you can tune your os and like if you want more space for like doing more damage you can take out 
your HUD. Right, right. So it's like, you can be like, I mean, it's mostly, they don't take up a lot of room, but it's like, you can, I'm pretty sure, like, remove your health bar visibility in that game, and it gives you, like, one more slot to, like, fit something else in. And then there's the, there's one of the potential endings of that game where you take out, essentially, your CPU, and then you just die. And then it's like one of the endings is like, yeah, the robot just exploded. <laughs> uh, yeah, awesome. obviously we got to uh, give it up for the legend, the one and only uh, Peter Jackson's King Kong, the official game of the movie, the best game with no HUD, that game freaking rules. Just have Adrian Brody yell out, I have two bullets left. I have one bullet left as oh, you're unloading God. your gun. It's awesome. Great um, for those uh, thousand achievements as well. That's right. That's right. <laughs> if you're hungry for achievements, everybody run, don't walk. But the answer obviously is inside. Oh, yeah. It just doesn't have any and has no use for any. <laughs> I suppose so. I was, I was always fascinated by... I'd love to, I'd love to do a documentary or have if anyone w- on Return to Oberdin because that was a game that like I feel like probably had a hood for a long time and then was just like, no, we're just going well, to figure it out. Isn't, get your the story, isn't the story of that that like the whole diary came in like very late oh, really i i think is what he said or like i'm not sure which elements of it but there was some like one of the core components of that game i think was like not in it for most of production <laughs> oh, that's amazing bizarre. um just thinking about old games kyle remember how last week on the podcast we we're like oh we should make a show for new show plus where it's playing a bunch of bad fps games and stuff I thought you guys did that. We did it. We did it, yeah. yeah. And I thought it was a cool move where the first game we played on this bad first-person shooter show was Legendary The Box. Do you remember this game from 2008? I booted it up. Man, the opening rocked. Like, it was genuinely (laughs) awesome. It's just a bunch of griffins attacking New York City, like, picking up taxis and flying away with them, like, ripping cops apart and flying around. Like, it was genuinely, like, way more engaging of a set piece than any Call of Duty I've ever played. It was freaking sweet. It's like Pandora's box. That's the, the idea. idea right? Yeah, they open yeah. it and then a bunch of weird mythological creatures attack New York City, but maybe the rest of the game sucks, but that opening was freaking sweet. <laughs> my, uh, my my friend uh, James, who's hot cider on social media, has a podcast called Bullet Time that is specifically about this uh, this sort of game. Legendary was their first episode. Oh, wow. oh really? Um, they did they did a whole kind of like Raven Software thing where they had like Hexen and Soldier of Fortune yeah. and I oh was on God. the uh the Wolfenstein 2009 Ooh. and it's like we we used to live in a golden era of like middling first person shooters <laughs> that had like one cool idea yes. you know and like right, we yeah. need to get back to that <laughs> I'm subscribing to this podcast right now that's <laughs> very good absolutely amazing uh, Man, rather- Soldier Fortune, what a fun game! You just blow people's heads off. I remember in Soldier Fortune, they had to, did they patch it where you could if if civilians got shot in any of the American levels, you would lose. But if civilians got shot in that one Baghdad level, nothing happened. <laughs> All right, well, so, it's uh, a different era, Danny. It's different people. A different era, yeah, yeah, come right. on. Uh, Rabid Lime writes in with a uncomfortable question for you, Danny, saying, uh, "Danny, question slash hypothetical. You're being." You're being given a ridiculous amount of money to do a feature-length documentary on a game-slash-subject that you absolutely loathe. What's the game, <laughs> and how much money would it take for you to do it? I, to be honest, like, I, my own personal opinions about a game don't... Like, okay, if, if this was like you're being asked to give a lot of money for, like, a studio that treats its employees really badly and they're trying to whitewash it... Sure, like, sure, sure. All right, in that's that it. scenario, yeah. I'm like, then the money question becomes... 
an issue or like if I could make this and people will still obviously know that they can see this as propaganda. I don't know. I probably wouldn't be able to do it because I, 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 it would feel like a like a burden on my soul. And um, but like how I personally feel about games is a lot of the times is not part of the equation. Like we did that Final Fantasy fourteen doc. I literally right. had never played a Final Fantasy game. Like there's 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 loads of projects that we get that like I'm like oh I better learn like Dwarf Fortress. We've been making a stock for like over a year now and. It just takes a lot of like research and a lot of how this game, how this community works, that type of thing. So um, there's plenty. Like the the Half Life one was a real slam dunk of like oh, and I think like we because the turnaround on it was pretty quick. I I think if I wasn't such a fan of Half Life, it would have been a way harder project. Right, like, there was a lot of stuff that I just like inherently remembered and knew, and like what was important to talk about. It was like no research required for it at all. Uh, um, I mean, I assume the checks in the bank account at this point, right? For, for what? The, for the Half Life doc? I, I, do you want me to just give me give me my financials? Right well, now? yeah, Is you that... can give them financials. I would love to know. Uh, no, but it, to be honest, <laughs> if they said, "Would you do this for free?" Would you do it? Oh, that's 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 a really good question. Um, yeah, probably. Right. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. I think I sent through the invoice, but like only a few for days Valve ago. Video Game Studios. That's you right. Yeah, yeah. Take don't, yeah. Of don't get any of this. No, that's no. You're that's a really good question yeah prob- probably yeah okay. at, no, at no point during it was i like oh this is gonna be a great you know this is we'll really squeeze these motherfuckers like, it was, it was like, <laughs> i was mostly thinking like we need to make sure this thing is good yeah and, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that's a good one and, i don't know i don't think I, i've never been like motivated like i'm everyone's motivated by money to a certain extent right? right because we're trying to make sure that like our families are safe and that we're in a good position and and to a certain extent the whole secret tape project is very much motivated by money and that it is trying to make sure that the team of creative people that I have around me are all able to like, instead of having to go out and it's like a collective bargaining situation. Instead of like a lot mm-hmm. of these folks going out and doing freelance work, if I, in my position, I'm able to bring in business and then use them, then it, it puts us in a stronger position as a, as a totality. So yeah, that's kind of the, you know the the long and short of it but like yeah i I, you know i think i'm mostly motivated by just trying to contribute as i'm sure many of you guys are like contribute to the this pastime that has given me so much and like yeah um yeah just trying to i don't know do worthwhile shit i guess oh yeah uh all right what do y'all like for question of the week um we had the stuff that danny missed out on surprising moment of your career big indie boom um, I like when Danny asked me for an Irish game. Okay. Folklore. <laughs> so the question of the week goes to Danny it's for asking dark. Kyle a bit of trivia that he can feel really good about himself with. That's not yeah, bad. Yeah. Uh, Danny, what are you feeling? Is there a question that pops out for you? Favorite musical? No HUD. Holiday games. Irish games. I like the musical one a lot. I do too. I like that one too. Yeah. Yeah. You don't often get a chance to talk about that. Yeah. I'm with you. There we go. Congratulations. I mentioned a chorus line, but yeah, I like that. I like that. There we go. Uh, Sean Rubin, congratulations. You won the I'm Ape It Prize for question of the week. You just won a double vinyl soundtrack to The Artful Escape. They'll ship it to your damn house. Thanks to I'm Ape It. Uh, Now it's time for something called Get a Load of This. There's a jingle playing you can't hear, but it's really sweet, Danny. Oh, I can hear it. Okay, good. Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'll kick it off. Hey, get a load of this. Um, I feel like I bring up this podcast all the time, but I really love it. Uh, the Game Maker's Notebook uh, podcast. They had a recent episode uh, with David Adams uh, from Vigil Games 
Um, and he was talking about his history of digital, uh, obviously working his way to, um, why, why am I blanking on that game that came out from them this year from gunfire that everybody loves that we've been playing? Oh yeah. Oh, remnant remnant too. Thank you. Um, but he was telling a story about early vigil before Darksiders. <clears throat> they were going to make a, a Sly Cooper game on PSP. Uh, and he said that like they had Joe Mad's art, uh, and he said that it's like some of his favorite concept art ever, but it's like, man, I want to see Joe Mad's art for a Sly Cooper game on PSP. Um, in 2019, I went to Airship Syndicate to see Darksiders Genesis, and they brought this up as well. Because really? Because they're also former. And I actually took a bunch of notes and was like, I'm going to write a story about this, but I just didn't have enough. Oh. Because all they said were based, it was basically like, yeah, we, we, we had plans. We had some art, and I think they showed me one piece of art that they had, but they wouldn't like let me take it, so to speak. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. You know, uh, <laughs> to put tough. online. I mean, not literally take it from them. So, like, it's I, I actually need to go. I want to go check that out because, like, it was one of those things where I was there to see Genesis, but I was like, well, can we spend, like, two hours talking about this, please? Yeah, <laughs> like, I wanna, so that's that's really cool, yeah. Yeah, uh, but, yeah, shout out to uh, Trent Custers on that podcast, too, from League of Geeks. Uh, Australian guy uh, one of my favorite interviews in the game industry he does such a good job especially for a developer you don't expect a developer to be that good of an interview but he just kills it on that Game Maker's Notebook uh, podcast uh, Jacob you got something? I get a load of this I assume everyone had the same experience that I did uh, earlier this week when we saw the headline uh, Ardman animation only has enough clay to make yes. one more movie. Yeah, it's like what? Um, <laughs> which is the the people who make Wallace and Gromit, their clay company is apparently shutting down. Uh, but I have an update. Uh, no need to worry. Wallace and Gromit studio reassures fans over clay quote shortage where they say, don't worry, we've got a bunch of clay. We have plans for what we're going to do when this company stops making our clay. I wonder, that like that headline sure. just like spread around in such a weird way. It's the same way that like, oh, the story is we're out of pink paint because of the Barbie movie. Or it's like, I that can't be right. <laughs> just, yeah. Something's not adding up here, everybody. I mean, it does. I, I do think it makes sense that it's like, because Ardman's been around for so long and they're so kind of specific that it's like, yeah, they would have been sourcing it for one company, you know, like forever right, and would right, have built right. their whole thing around that. But uh, they got plenty of clay, everyone. <laughs> Don't worry. Clay for everybody. I, I love Ardman, but my reaction to that uh, uh, headline was like, and Chicken Run sequel is going to be like <laughs> the last bit <laughs> of clay. I mean, I like Chicken Run fine, but I would have <laughs> rather seen an original Ardman project. But. This this article does uh, use the phrase a sequel to its hit poultry comedy, uh, which I just think <laughs> is a very funny phrase. The hit poultry comedy, Chicken Run. I get a little of this. Um, this is just a, a TikTok that I think falls into the the sort of propaganda documentary oh, side of things or Danny's specialty. But um it's it's a topic that I'm I'm kind of fascinated about is that I I usually check in with Just Dance every year because it's like a big game for my family to play. And I'm always like, how does this work? Like what is this the process of these games? And there's a, a woman, uh she's a little little Sia on TikTok and it's her filming herself of just like here's what i go through to be a dancer with just dance that's cool like i i, I flew to cool. france i got there really early i spend like the morning getting in makeup i do dancing i change outfits and do more makeup and i do another dance and like it's a lot of and, and it's a lot of like her filming herself and you know people holding her phone behind yeah. the scenes of her being involved in it and it's i just liked that peek into like how does this, these are, this is a weird outlier in the video game industry of this very successful game that probably has completely different development processes than most games because right. a lot of it is filming people with white 
makeup dancing, you know? Um, so I just, I liked, I liked watching that little, it's like two minutes long and it was just, it was just kind of fascinating to watch her sort of go through that process. And it was also, it's also that very charming thing where she was like clearly a big fan and very excited and honored to be able to be in just dance. So she's like in tears by the end of the day because she's like, I get to be in just dance, which is, is really fun. That's her half life. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's sweet. Uh, Danny, do you have something to, to share with the class? Yeah, there's this um, Irish comedian who started this channel called Bobby Fingers on YouTube uh, earlier this year, I think it was, or maybe it was late last year, where he makes these weird art projects. And they're very, like, they're very funny, like, edited. The art projects themselves are crazy. Like, the first one he did was a a diorama of Mel Gibson being arrested when he got pulled over and he went on that uh, anti-Semitic tirade. Speaking of chicken um, run. Of chicken run. Did we? Yeah. <laughs> run, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there, he did another one where it was uh, a diorama of when Michael Jackson got his hair caught on fire. His his <laughs> most recent one is about he makes a rowing boat out of Jeff Bezos's face. Ooh. And it's just, I think because I make like do a lot of like editing about how people made things that are like very digital and ethereal um the videos are basically just like him they're like humorous and like they definitely break the format of what you think you're about to watch so i don't want to spoil it but the there's genuine like amazing craftsmanship in it like clearly he like went to art school and learned a bunch of these processes so like when he's making this like jeff bezos rowing boat it's all about like the casting and building the frames and all and it's it's so it's like watching like a comedy version of how it's made or something right and I just find them completely enthralling like it just reminds me of people are so good at stuff like people have just like these amazing talents you never even know about like sometimes they're they're really good at a and like you end up finding like you know i remember like my mom's friends were like to me when i was growing up were like they were just moms and then you find out like they were actually had this amazing life that they didn't get to do or didn't know about or get to celebrate were they able to make all this cool shit and being like like people are fascinating like the the yeah. talents they have that they don't share so yeah bobby fingers um on youtube is a is a a really good channel just for watching cool stuff get made and having a bit of a laugh as well. Yeah, sweet. Links below for all this fun stuff, including the one pulled from the community Discord channel. They get a load of this channel. Manic T shared this and said, it's appropriately time for the MinMax community. Uh, it is a tweet about how Twitch is now currently playing The Simpsons Hit and Run. Uh, Twitch controls for the open world game The Simpsons Hit and Run. So you can check that out on the link below if you're interested. Did, uh, did you guys watch that YouTube series of the guy who remade that game? I, I skimmed it. Uh, I didn't watch all of it, though. Unbelievable. Okay. It's, it's unreal. I think he, he documented the whole thing. It's like maybe eight episodes long about him yeah, building it in Unreal. And it's like... It's really just terrific. And it's so it's sad amazing. then because like, oh, I made all this. I can't release it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you yeah, go. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Place. yeah. Yeah. We, um, we did. So we have people choose a game to be declared the champion of uh, for a whole tier on, on Patreon here. And so Jawar Hello chose the Simpsons hit and run. So it's like, and then it won like our big poll that people wanted us to make bonus content about it the same way. Like what the NHL 94 doc, right? That was a community poll. Yeah, it was a that one wasn't actually but oh, greatest okay. hits usually is yeah, okay like gotcha, gotcha. the thief one was and a couple other ones were there we go anyways and so uh yeah so it's like okay we're making content about simpsons hit and run so i reached out to the guy to try and get an interview and i never heard back from the remake guy so we ended up posting an oral history of the original game with six of the game's developers which is a, a fun fun chat on minmax's youtube channel if anybody wants to to check that out and again i'm not complaining i'm thankful for everything 
to be clear, right. it'd be so crappy to complain about something. But it's just for a frame of All reference, right. I always think it's fascinating because, like, uh, in that interview, they talk about, you know, why the Simpsons hit and run two didn't happen and why the Vivendi deal fell through, yada, yada, yada. Um, and I think every gaming site shared it as a story, like, you know, IGN and GameSpot, like every site imaginable. And it's always fascinating. And just for a frame of reference, the YouTube video currently has an estimated revenue of $11.29. So I'm just, as a reminder, that's why it's important to support independent games and media, because it's nice to be the source of that news, but it don't, it don't trickle back to us, everybody, unless no. people support us on Patreon and help support those types of long-form interviews. Um, but hey, Danny, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Sorry, I was a little bit late. You're fine. Apologies. You're not late and, for and people that I also broke kayfabe and said that I was late. I'm I was more late. angry with you for saying kayfabe on this podcast, but uh, what, what do you want to plug, Danny? Um, I, Nothing. I'm doing our, you know, had the Half-Life doc. Ever, all everyone did for five days was respond to me about it, so I feel like very satiated um, in terms of things that I could plug. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, yeah, what you said, support independent, like, a lot of the time. Do you ever have those, like, uh, this is the opposite of probably what you're asking to do, but um, do you ever have, we, I always have get those, like, exit interviews on Patreon or the exit surveys oh, and yeah, fill yeah. them in. And a lot of the time it's people saying like, oh, I just wanted to like, you know, help someone else out. You know what I mean? Like go support somebody else on Patreon instead. And I I think that's like um, super cool. Yeah, super cool. People do that sort of stuff, especially this time of year. Um, and especially with all the crazy layoffs and stuff that are going on. Yeah, in the absolutely. Industry. So no, but yeah, thanks to everyone for all the feedback on the Half-Life doc. It's really cool. And yeah, I'm like, like, like everyone else, I'm like, yes, I am aware that next year is the 20th anniversary of Half-Life 2. And uh, <laughs> I would I would like to do that one as well. That's true. That'd be sweet. That'd be sweet. Let's see. Uh, on the MinMax side of things, we posted a new show, Overflow, our bonus episode on New Show Plus last week. It's a fun one where it's Dan Reichert from Giant Bomb and Leo Vader. Uh, touring Minnesota's biggest candy store. <laughs> so if you literally want to see Dan just go on a shopping spree at uh, the biggest candy store you can imagine, you can check out that full video on our YouTube channel. It's a fun time. Uh, also, he throw up in it, though? I mean, that's kind of key. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I was going to because I went over to his house for the extra ice stream for Giant Bomb, and I ate a ton of that candy then, and I felt so terrible after. It's like, why was I thinking eating this entire box of sweets? Uh, but uh, the secret is that uh, it was a, a bit of a drive to get to that candy store, and so Leo Vader and Dan Reichert on the drive there, and the drive back recorded a secret podcast that's just those two uh shooting the and it's a very fun (laughs) candid discussion between them and that is available at the five dollar tier on patreon we're putting it up on monday november 27th so if you're at the five dollar tier on min max's patreon you'll unlock the bonus podcast feed which has a ton of stuff all of our interviews early access to this podcast that's ad free and then a secret bonus podcast between leo and dan which is a, a fun time also, that podcast feed contains the entire deepest dive on Alan Wake 2, which we have now finished. We wrapped it up. We talked about that game for nine hours, which <laughs> feels like the right amount of time to give that game its due for how freaking cool that game is to really unpack everything. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for supporting the deepest dive, playing along with us, unlocking the podcast feed version. And for everybody out there, I see you. I hear you. I smell you. Everyone who's saying, where's Sarah Podzorski? Get her on the podcast more. We want more Sarah. The answer is in short, is she's on the Deepest Dive for Alan Wake 2, everybody. So if you want more podcasts with Sarah, there's a whole lot of Sarah on the Deepest Dive for Alan Wake 2. So check that out. Uh, all right, uh, Kyle, Jacob, you guys got anything to plug? Listen to the Something Rotten podcast. Hey, say it more confidently, man. Listen to the Something Rotten podcast. Yeah. <laughs> what are you guys covering these days? Uh, we're doing we're doing some uh, some spooky indie games that were uh, haven't been announced yet, but are about to start. We just finished Silent Hill two and three. Yeah, awesome. Kyle, got anything going on over at Game Informer? 
maybe soon i'll have some pl- stuff to plug maybe next cover is coming up uh All right. after like early december Okay. It'll be, it'll be exciting. Very exciting yeah. stuff. Uh, thank you, everybody, for watching or listening. Thank you, everybody, at the Game Champion tier. All these people can declare themselves the champion of any game under the sun. Trampoline Tales is the champion of the game Luck Be a Landlord, which is cheating because it's their own game. But you know what? That's a cheap way to get a plug. So congratulations. Uh, Patrick Polk is the champion of PT. No one had claimed PT yet. And when it comes to the yeah. next like big poll... I think PT is going to be a real contender for stuff that people want to make a bonus podcast or Ooh, content you should about. Release, so. You should finish it and release oh, it. Oh, oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> uh, so shout out to everybody at the Game Champion tier. Thanks so much. Uh, and shout out to Jawar Hello for creating that entire oral history of the Simpsons hit and run. It's all because of you. So thanks for making that happen. All right, Danny. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you being on, man. Always love, love to chatting to you guys. Oh, and I forgot about our NHL 94 documentary should be out for free on YouTube. Sweet. Probably by the time this goes up. No clue. Or if not, soon enough. There we go. There's a link in the description for all this fun stuff. But thanks so much, everybody. We'll be back next week. Happy holidays. Be good. Have fun. Let's go. Let's go.